Good evening, folks, and welcome to another episode of the Third Impact Anime Podcast, where we are going to be traveling into space to have a existential ghost breakdown with our favorite opera singer. I am joined by people that could probably make a much better intro than me. I am joined by Bill. How's it going, Bill? Um, somehow people keep running away from me, and I don't know why. It's maybe it's this <laughs> distinctive smell. I, I don't know what's going on. Did you recently eat a very nasty Sunday? <laughs> <laughs> Possibly, may, maybe some onions to add on to that. So we'll see. Uh, you want to be careful with that breath. Uh, speaking of breath, how's it going, Tori? <laughs> um, good. I'm here to trap weak-willed men in a hologram for the rest of their mortal life. Cool. What about you, Tobias? <laughs> I'm doing pretty good. I just got back working the shift at the uh, at the Cannon Factory slash Betsy Ross Museum, and boy, let me tell you. So was your shift also basically in one continuous shot? You could say that. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I should say that. All right. So um, in this episode, we are going to be talking about the 1995 anime anthology from Katsuhiro Otomo Memories. Um, but before that, we're just going to do a little bit of catch up as we do. Um, actually, even before the catch up, we have something very, very exciting to announce. Uh, courtesy of the very kind and the illustrious Mr. Bill Foreman, uh, he has decided to purchase a brand new copy of Volume 1 of the Rose of Versailles anime TV series. Uh, it is, if anybody has been paying attention to that uh, license recently, they would know that, uh, unfortunately, uh, Right Stuff and Nozomi Entertainment has lost the license to that show. Um, so there will at least for the foreseeable future, there will not be any more copies of that show made available to purchase. It is no longer on streaming anywhere, and it is only going to get more difficult to come across. So Bill has acquired a copy of Volume 1 of that and would like to give it away on our show. Yeah, and uh, the first the first volume, or Part 1, you get 25 episodes I believe in the first set, so you get a lot of content to chew on mm-hmm. as you uh, as you go through the show. Mm-hmm. And as we have all sort of learned lately, as consumers of media, you can never truly rely one hundred percent on streaming to be your go to thing. Uh, so that's why physical media will always be king. <laughs> <laughs> it may take up shelf space, but it's the best way to guarantee that you will be able to watch the things and play the games that you want to watch and play. Um, So, that being said, uh, the way that you, dear listener, can uh, participate in our giveaway project is if you would go over to our iTunes account and leave us a review. We would really, really appreciate that because that helps us for visibility on iTunes. Um, if you leave a review and leave a star rating, that helps more people find the show through that particular outlet. Um, and if you're able to do that, um, we will put your username that you indicate on your review into a uh, random name generator, and we will just sort of roll it, and whoever is the winner is the winner. A and random we will send name you generator? 
No, a random random thing generate like a list of things, and it will generate a thing and Rich, make it. You know what I'm talking about. We're just about. gonna take all the names and jam them together <laughs> and make a Lovecraftian nonsense word. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna break the DVDs and and like. <laughs> Um, send them in pieces to each of the people and they have to they have to meet up in real life and put the disc, disc bat together and this is very stupid um, <laughs> I think uh, I think for this what we should do is for every star you give us in the review you get an entry I don't know man that's that's a lot of power to give uh-huh. to one person I don't know if I'm cool with that um, but what the way that you are able to find out if you are the winner or not is that you have to go to our Facebook community and join us over there. If you are someone that doesn't use Facebook, well, you're a better person than me. However, uh, if you do not also, if you do not review us on Facebook, or excuse me, review us on iTunes and then join the Facebook community, you will not know if you have won or not. So that is really the only way to find out. And if you want this brand new, very, very limited uh, copy of the Rose of Versailles Volume 1. This is the one of the only ways to get a hold of it, and it will be absolutely free, just for you, at the cost of only one simple iTunes review. <laughs> of five stars. Of Mm, do I do we want to make that stipulation? Does it have to be a five star? Yeah, I think it. I think yes, it does have to be a five star review. Well, I mean, I mean, ethically we shouldn't do that, but practically <laughs> we we're going to do that. Oh yeah, we're totally we, buying we, votes we, here. This we is highly unethical. We want our egos and our emotions to feel good. So ethics, five stars makes us feel. Journalism. <laughs> yeah, I mean this this is a bribe. I will go on on record and be like this is thoroughly 100% a bribe, but I I don't I don't really think that we're above that. So I think we're cool. Yeah. <laughs> That's uh, fair. All right. So now with the bribery out of the way. Oh, and I did want to mention that the contest will begin the day that this episode goes up. Um and it will end exactly 1 month from that day. Um, and then we will be reminding folks in the Facebook group as well, um, and on our social media pages and whatnot that the contest is active. Um, but we really need those need those reviews in, and we would really appreciate them from all of you guys. All right, so uh, how did everybody's Halloween go? Mine went. Mine was pretty busy. I moved, which was exciting. Uh, so I wasn't really able to partake in a lot of Halloween festivities. The only thing I really did during Halloween was watch this really good... I don't know what you, if you'd call it an anthology movie. Uh, hey. Trick or Treat. Trick or treat. Uh, I think it came out about 10 years ago. And it's uh, this really fun horror movie where it's all these small different events happening in this one town. And... Um, some of them have like a supernatural element to them and it's just really fun it doesn't have an all-star cast but there's some notable names like Anna Paquin from True Bloods in it and Brian Cox who's a well-known character actor like he's in the Jason Bourne movies um there's one other name I'm forgetting but um overall I I highly recommend it um Shout Factory just put out a really good release of it on Blu-ray um and it's a cool um, kind of anthology where it's not broken up into part one, part two, 
kind of like creep show it's broken up where it's they kind of do a pulp fiction thing where they go back and forth between the stories so oh, neat. It, it keeps you focused and so don't worry if you don't like one story they'll quickly get to another one that you might find interesting so did you watch that on streaming or did you get a copy of it physically i got a copy of it physically thanks to um my my brother who is all about the physical media yeah, I've been trying to find that movie like all season because that's one thing that I've been hearing a lot more about that lately. Like people revisiting that movie and really, you know, showing off how cool it is. And I really wanted to watch it, but I couldn't couldn't find it up on streaming anywhere. And the Blu-ray was still a little bit more expensive for me to blind buy. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, I just I sort of skipped out on that one. But with your recommendation, I'm a little bit more inclined to want to pick it up. Yeah, and as someone who's not a particular horror fan, I found this movie pretty fun. Yeah, so I really enjoyed I, it. I, enjoyed I, saw, it. I think I watched it last year, and uh, after kind of been putting it off for the decade that it's been out, and uh, yeah, no, I really enjoyed it as well. Sweet, cool. How, how about our resident horror expert, Tori? What did you have you seen Trick or Treat? I actually have not seen it, mm. but uh, one day. Probably when Austin gets around to buying it, I'll watch it with him. But um, oh, I yeah, see, it's... I see how it is. <laughs> <laughs> um, because you don't watch horror things unless you're watching them with me. So I called you out in front of everybody. But um... <laughs> I, I, I guess that's that's mostly true. <laughs> um, but yeah, I remember when that movie came out, and I was always really interested in it because they would cover it a lot. Um, and like a lot of horror magazines. Speaking of which, is like Fangoria even a thing that's published physically anymore? Because I would go look for it like over the past year and could never find it. But um, I know they probably have a podcast. I bet <laughs> you they do. Um, Podcasts are for losers. <laughs> but yeah, that movie was really popular for a while when it came out, and then like everybody else said, it's like everybody's kind of revisiting it and um, finding out that it's as good as they remember, which is good i guess i don't know because i've never seen it but so fangoria is definitely still active i don't know if they do a print magazine maybe it's like like mail order only or something but it is definitely it still used a thing to be, you used to be able to buy it pretty much anywhere you could get magazines because i used to like obsessively buy it mm. mm-hmm. cool well how was your halloween tobias it was pretty great uh, i also watched a movie uh that movie being halloween uh, the original. Uh, I, oh, nice. I put that off for a long time and finally sat down and watched that. Uh, uh, for that, really enjoyed it. Uh, it definitely is a prototypical slasher film. So you could definitely see that uh, early DNA for all that kind of, uh, you know, that uh, that type of film uh, in, in that. I really enjoyed that. Uh, might go check out the new sequel that just came out. Uh, mm-hmm. Heard good things about that. The Jason Bloom and, uh, other produced than that, one. Yeah. Uh, other than that, I also uh, saw Bad Times of the El Royale, which uh, just came out a, about a month ago, I want to say. And I also highly recommend that. Really enjoy, enjoyable movie. Yeah, it, uh, I think I think my uncle told me about that. I'm just like, I did. It, I think he told me it had Jeff Bridges in it. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. He's one of it's the like guys. an all star. It's like an all star cast. It's like yeah. Jeff Bridges that girl who was in the 50 shades of gray movies and um chris hemsworth's in it um Uh, nick offerman shows up for five minutes (laughs) nice (laughs) all right i'm sold you told me that i'm good (laughs) but the trailers for that movie look really interesting so yeah Yeah. i probably missed the theater window but whenever it comes out 
um, on home video, I'll probably go check it out. No, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Uh, for all of the the all star, I think uh, uh, the one that I think the probably least well known, uh, Cynthia Erivo, really stole the show. Uh, her character, Darlene Sweet, was just ah so great. Cool. Well, definitely have to have to check that one out because it was like totally off my radar. Didn't hear about it at all until it was in theaters. Um, so it's and you're you're not the only person to say that it's it's pretty good. So I'm, I will check that out as well. Um, how about yourself? Um, well, most of my Halloween is sort of spread out throughout the month because I think I mentioned it in the in the other episode, but I work at a haunted house that's, uh, like, 45 minutes-ish from my house, um, so that takes up pretty much my Fridays and Saturday nights during the season, um, but the season was really good, it was very solid, uh, we tried a couple of new things, we got a few new little set pieces here and there to play with, and, um, working at a haunt is just a really great experience, like, all the people that work there are just fabulous and they take their acting very seriously it's not just we it's like we're gonna hire you and we're gonna stick you in this corner put a mask on you and you're gonna say Rrr. so we don't we don't really do that it's more about like you know you come up with this character and you sort of really embody um like who this character is you get to know them and um you sort of evolve as as you go on through uh through improvisation stuff and um like the role that I have is not so much like a scary role, it's more of like an entertainment sort of um, comedy role, I guess, but um, it's sort of just like myself, but exaggerated to like the nth degree, uh, so that's always kind of fun to be able to uh, let loose and uh, intellectually terrorize the denizens of the Pilot Mountain. So what so, you're saying uh, is in, in the middle of this haunted house, you're recording an anime podcast? Yeah, that's that's pretty much exactly it. Like it's it's almost exactly like that. Interesting. Uh, I will often talk about anime as my character if uh, if <laughs> well, if I actually. see someone's <laughs> if I see someone like wearing a t-shirt or something, I'll I'll talk to them as my character about it because I, I do get like some very extended improv time like just because of the nature of my station. So there are there are portions of the haunt where like if you are an actor you might be interacting with a guest for maybe like a minute or like five minutes or something very small sometimes the interactions are as quick as just a second or uh or what have you but like with my role it's more of like an extended improv thing so i'm out there with the same group of people for like 15 minutes 20 minutes depending on how fast or slow the line moves uh, so I really get a good opportunity to come up with some pretty ridiculous uh, routines um, and try and, you know, keep that stream of consciousness flow going <laughs> really crazy. Uh, so that's fun. So that's that's the main portion of my Halloween. I did watch a couple of scary movies. I watched Carrie. I watched one of the Hammer Dracula movies. Um, what else? Didn't we watch something, Tori, that wasn't Mandy? Um, Sadako versus Kayako. That's true. We watched that. That was stupid and fun. <laughs> Got to hear the Japanese pr- pronunciation of meme a lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we went to see Venom. It wasn't a horror movie, but that w- movie was the really a lot better than it should have been. Seen. <laughs> it was actually really entertaining. Like I liked it a lot. It was. I- I heard the worst part is just the chemistry between um, 
the two leads, like uh, Tom Hardy and I forget who who the love interest is, but they have like no chemistry whatsoever. Wait, you're of the love no. interest? You mean the alien, right? <laughs> yes, the symbiote. <laughs> now those yep. two—that's the best romance I've ever seen. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, so the true yeah, love, like, sorry, the true love story is between Venom and the man. Yes, <laughs> yes. man and monster. You know, put aside their differences to uh, to love each other and embody the same body. So you say it is, um, but I thought that was literally the the way the movie went down. <laughs> no, that's li- that is the that is the plot according yeah. to the internet. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty much the way it is. It's it's a it's a little bit far fetched how they suddenly get like the symbiote to be a good guy. He's basically just like, you know what? I don't want to eat every human being. I only want to eat the bad human beings because I kind of <laughs> like Earth. <laughs> it's and he establishes that he's a good guy in like a paragraph of dialogue. But it's because where else is he funny. going to get what is it he wants to eat? Chocolate and like, like hash browns or tater tots where else is he going to get tater tots and chocolate other than on earth that's true you can't get it out in space i guess not (laughs) or the real symbiote is the friends we made along the way (laughs) you are all my symbiote well i can't wait for i can't wait for venom 2 electric boogaloo (laughs) man i hope so like if if they make a sequel to this movie you know i'll I'll be first in line because it it was it was so much better than it should have been oh oh don't worry the memes made sure that got the box office numbers to go up so it's probably going to get a sequel Mm. good good i mean and and what i liked um in the in the grander sense of like superhero movies in general is that like the movie was vague enough that if you just wanted to use your imagination to say, yes, this does take place in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, yes, Spider-Man does exist, and he is played by Tom Holland, and he lives in New York, you could totally watch that movie with this, with that mindset, mm-hmm. because they don't really do anything to explicitly state one way or another that this movie takes place in another world. And I think that's really smart, mm-hmm. because with Sony already setting the precedent of like allowing Spider-Man to be in the MCU, it's entirely possible that they do bring Venom into it. So I think that the thought of ta- of having this movie like take place in San Francisco, take place in like on the other side of the country, like not really involved with anything that could be involved with like the New York superheroes, I think that was a really smart move. So Tori, how was your Halloween? Um, I spent it working, unfortunately, so I wasn't able to go out and do anything. Um, my sister borrowed my Sailor Moon cosplay and was absolutely precious. Um, so her, her Halloween was much, much better than mine. She said she had, like, uh, quite a few people recognize her as Sailor Moon. Um, but other than that, I finished up the haunting of hill house around halloween time and that was very very enjoyable and i've been playing through luigi's mansion dark moon hey that's that's a good sort of a spectrum of halloween to participate in yeah so i i had my own little little celebration and i spent most of october catching up on movies i hadn't seen and didn't get through as many as I was hoping to, but I've still made some progress, I guess. I mean, we watched Sadako versus Kayako, and that's like the most important movie that has ever been made. That's very true. 
And just because it's we're in November now doesn't mean you have to stop watching horror movies. I mean, I'm going to make you two watch Life Force now that I know that it's on Amazon Prime. <laughs> Man, I, that movie has just you know piqued my curiosity in such a bizarre way ever since I saw it in Electric Boogaloo. So I just I just have to I have to check it out. I just gotta. It's kind of like how I felt about um about Mandy. I was just like. I don't really know anything about this movie, but man, I gotta check it out. Oh man, I also watched Tusk. I forgot about that. Mm. Ooh. <laughs> well, now's a really good time to oh. segue into the main topic. Quick, <laughs> quick, quick question about Tusk, though. Uh, I don't want to talk about Tusk. Well, it's very, it's it's a it's a podcast related question though, because they're okay. podcasters in the movie. Yes, they are. So, do I get an ad for Legal Zoom or Mac Weldon or? Um, a Blue typical apron. Blue Apron, a typical podcast Casper sponsor. <laughs> yeah, you know, Casper I th- mattresses. I think that they did have some sort of like podcast sponsor, or maybe it was that they were selling their own T-shirts or something like that. But there was something like that where they like tried to hawk something on the podcast. But unfortunately, it was none of the above. Uh-huh. But that would have been well, really funny. That's that's the only thing exciting about that movie is mm-hmm. podcast representation. Well, you know, Kevin Smith's got his own podcast. So whoever sponsors him, I don't I don't uh, even know if he's got sponsors he, or not. He should have yeah. roped them into this scheme. <laughs> Tusk yeah. brought to you by Blue Apron. <laughs> Me undies. Yeah. Squarespace. Oh, make your dedicated walrus fan site <laughs> anyway we're gonna talk about some anime now you guys excited no yes wait cool. wait, wait wait tusk is an anime no 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 shut up <laughs> okay so we're gonna take a very quick break and whenever we get back we're gonna be talking about the 1995 anime anthology film from katsuhiro otomo and a variety of other very prolific and talented creators memories So before we jump into our review, I just wanted to remind everyone that much like any creator on the internet, we have a plethora of social media options for all of your social media needs, uh, including a Facebook page that we update pretty often, facebook.com slash thirdimpactanime. We also have a fairly active Twitter, which is at TI underscore anime, and I have recently revived the Tumblr page, which is thirdimpactanime.tumblr.com, and I don't really use it for all that much except for like curating just a queue of good like anime content from a bunch of different shows that we like um so if you're looking for just like a reblog factory uh, that would be a good option for you if you are a tumblr user um we also have our wordpress where we put up all of our panel notes and all of our show notes for our various podcast episodes and that can be found at thirdimpactanime.wordpress.com um have there been any articles that we put up lately um Um, yes i can think of one okay um this might be a little bit of old news by this comes out but i recently wrote up a piece on the funimation crunchyroll breakup 
involving what's happening to Verve and yes. where all the shows are going to who's going to who. It's like a sad, messy divorce of a celebrity mm-hmm. couple mm-hmm. that you don't want to happen, mm-hmm. but it's it's sadly happening. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I really I really enjoyed that piece. Uh, so if you guys are curious as to what Bill's take is on that, um, I would highly highly recommend going to read his piece on that because it's very well thought out. You think of a lot of the different contexts in which in which that might be a problem and some of the uh, some of the some of the good things that are going to come out of it. Yeah, there's some there's some good things like high dives coming to Verve, which is good, and um, maybe Funimation will since they're on their own island now, they can step up their game. Like, I don't know, putting your name on uh, streaming, <laughs> maybe a little a little film that's barely anyone's heard about. Yeah, yeah, it didn't even show up on my radar. <laughs> Whose name? What what name? Oh, anyway. <laughs> all right folks so um memories uh very excited to talk about this so memories is an anime anthology film produced by katsuhiro otomo and animated by studio 4c and studio madhouse um if you've ever seen 1987's robot carnival it is very similar to that in the sense that it is a collection of shorts uh from different screenplay writers animators and directors but what makes memories unique is that each of the three pieces in the film are based on either screenplays or manga that were created by Otomo, but each was taken and sort of reimagined by their respective directors. Um, if you folks are not f- familiar with Katsuhiro Otomo, he is the creator, uh, writer, and director of Akira, among other things. So the chief creative talents on this particular project are Koji Morimoto, Tensai Okamura, and of course, Katsuhiro Otomo. So Koji Morimoto is the director of the first short, Magnetic Rose, which is probably the most well-recognized piece from this particular anthology. He worked together with the Satoshi Kon on the screenplay, sort of revamping it and adding things from Otomo's original version. And since Morimoto had worked with her on Macross Plus just about a year prior, Uh, He brought on Yoko Kano to do the music for Magnetic Rose. Uh, This was released um, three years before Perfect Blue came out, and was released four years before Cowboy Bebop came out. So neither Yoko Kano nor Satoshi Kon had really come close Mm. to hitting their critical mass as creators yet, though they both had been in the industry for a while at this point. So before Memories, uh, Koji Morimoto had been the co-founder of Studio 4C, uh, and he directed the Franken's Gear segment of Robot Carnival, uh, which is the first segment uh, in the the anthology, uh, excluding the opening. Uh, He was also an animator on Akira, where he obviously met Katsuhiro Otomo. Uh, He also worked on City Hunter, Fist of the North Star, and Macross Do You Remember Love, uh, among many other things. Uh, he would go, later go on to storyboard the film Tech on Kincrete at Studio 4C uh, in the early 2000s, and he would am- animate the opening of Otomo's most recent anthology, Short Piece, which came out in, I want to say, 2014 or so. Right. Tori and I got to see that in mm-hmm. theaters. That was cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Tensai Okamura is the director of the second short, Stink Bomb. Uh, He worked for Studio Madhouse for a number of years, uh, working on another Otomo-related anthology piece, uh, Neo Tokyo, from 1987. Uh, He was a key animator on Neon Genesis Evangelion, 
uh, The Wings of Honiamis, the original Ghost in the Shell movie, My Neighbor Totoro, Mobile Suit Gundam Stardust Memory, and a bunch of other things. He directed seven episodes of Cowboy Bebop. Uh, and in the 2000s, he directed Wolf's Reign, which probably a lot of people remember from the from the Toonami days. Um, and he directed episodes of Full Metal Panic, Soul Eater, and was the director and the creator of the Darker Than Black franchise. Really good first season, and then it goes completely downhill, sadly, for me. Unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, I don't... I, I've never finished Darker Than Black, so I really wonder why that is because so many people say that season one was like so great but season two just like totally drops the ball it's the the answer to your question is amnesia plot yep and it gets weird (laughs) 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 that too so one of otomo's major considerations in making memories was the uh international market for anime at the time he looked at the elements of what international audiences really enjoyed about akira uh, which to him was like the incredibly fluid uh, animation style, the larger-than-life sci-fi settings, and just a really stellar soundtrack. Um, and he tried to replicate that in this new project without being too similar to Akira. Uh, he said there's a there's a really good documentary on the DVD that... Bill, did you get a chance to watch that? I watched a bit of it, and it was interesting hearing um, them talk about the, their process and how he wanted to approach this but from what you what you previously just stated i'm a little surprised that he tried to make this for an international audience because just the way it's structured i think this would this would really work well at a film festival and in kind of art houses but i don't Mm. see it getting mainstream success if that's what he was hoping for where if he wanted that then having one central narrative probably would be more appealing to a wider audience yeah you're generally right with that because like there there is sort of a precedent of anthology films like not doing so well in japan and like sort of only Mm -hmm. doing well in the u.s as sort of like niche artsy things Um, yeah and, and anthologies rarely do well at the box office like the only anthologies that i know that have done well are usually like horror or sci-fi themed like the twilight zone anthology film from the 80s did well mm-hmm. or creep show uh, which is a horror anthology yeah um i don't know if like necessarily the streaming culture would change the need for anthologies because like you look at something like black mirror um, which is effectively like an anthology show um and it was highly successful um, well, I, I think that just goes down to the structure of what anthology is, because I think anthologies, by their nature, works well in a TV-style format, because right, right. You're, you're only there for a limited amount of time, and because mm-hmm. you have the distance between episodes, mm-hmm. um, you can move on to a new story. And so it's mm-hmm. not as jarring to the audience member if you're going from one segment to the other, and you don't lose that momentum, too. Mm-hmm. I think some of uh, Black Mirror's success, too, lends to the fact that, like, a lot of the episodes are really shocking. Like, not, not like, necessarily a grotesque way, but it's just like, oh my god, they did that, whoa, that's the plot twist, like, kind of thing. So you think more of Black Mirror's appeal is more so the content rather than the form? Personally, yes, and uh, the trend, like, the anthologies have been on a trend for a while now, so I think, I, I don't know, like, necessarily the cause of that, but um, mm. I think a lot of 
the deal of Black Mirrors is the content itself, but um, mm. it works best in that format. I, I wonder, because uh, I think that with, with Black Mirror, it, it can be kind of both. I feel like since there's mm-hmm. it's very shocking content, but you get a lot of different stories that yes. vary wildly. Uh, mm-hmm. So, like, I could see maybe anthology-style works moving from one feature film that's, you know, three or more uh, shorts mm-hmm. to something that's more like a TV series. So we think of, like, you know, Black Mirror or the other stuff that's on Netflix. They're not really TV series. They're really mm-hmm. kind of like OVAs, like we think of them in, in anime terms. Like, they all drop mm-hmm. at the same time. They're all sort of independent. They're not really TV series because they're never on TV. So I could, yeah, I could see, uh, you know, getting more, uh, you know, anthology stuff as individual quote-unquote episodes. Mm. And binge culture plays into that as well, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, I w- there's a, a neat mini documentary on the new uh, Ro- uh, Robot Carnival Blu-ray um, that had an interview with one of the guys that worked for Streamline Pictures back in the day whenever Robot Carnival first came over. Mm-hmm. And he said that one of their major problems with that, but they ended up succeeding with it pretty well, is that they didn't really know how to market Robot Carnival because like anthologies can kind of be difficult to really sell to people unless they are really into the idea of just like anime as an art form because mm-hmm. you you can't really sell memories as a whole like based on like any particular like characters or story or anything like that and if you watch the trailer they sort of go for the idea of like this is like a celebration of the greatest talents in anime and stuff like that sort of in a very similar way that they did with robot carnival but it's like kind of how we've been saying earlier like it's a little bit of a harder sell because there's not like a narrative hook you can't say like oh this is a movie about you know a a a, a magical castle that walks Mm -hmm. through the land and there's a mysterious wizard and a girl that gets turned into an old lady thank you Uh, so it's you're welcome um (laughs) Well, you know, thinking about it, another anthology movie I can think of, which is it's a little older and Western, but like f- The Four Rooms, which was like an anthology mm. oh, series that was made by Quentin Tarantino back in the day, where it was him and Robert, Robert Rodriguez and I think two other well-known names, but I'm blanking on them. And the way they marketed it is it's Quentin Tarantino and it's <laughs> marketing the names yeah. behind the anthology because... I think that's the that's the problem is with an anthology show it's a show or a movie you have to market the name behind it yes. and it's harder with anime because unless you're a Miyazaki the name sadly the names kind of blend all together for the general public yeah and there's no way to explain um you actually might have said this a little bit earlier and I'm sorry if I glossed over that but um not you specifically just in general in the conversation but there's no way to explain anthologies without like giving away the whole episode where it's Mm -hmm. like you know what i mean like as a movie it's you can be like you know um like austin was saying this is about a wizard and a moving castle but with the anthology you're like okay you have to kind of explain the whole um Minisode to get people to watch it because if somebody recommends an anthology, um, like you said, unless there's already a name or several names behind it that I recognize, I'm gonna probably go in kind of like already expecting not something not so good. Mm. Yeah, and I think that's kind of the like they 
in the marketing for this movie, they seem to really want to tie it to Otomo, and mm-hmm. that's very understandable because he's obviously the executive producer of this. He directed a third of it, and right. he is very well known for Akira. Um, so which I think the, which sorry, which at the time was probably the most successful anime movie in the West. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. at the same time, it's like I kind of hate that though because it's almost to me like discrediting the other creators who have worked just as hard to put out something it's like the yeah. it's like the whole thing being like um whenever somebody talks about studio ghibli or like anime movies in general and they're like miyazaki 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 and i'm like there are other people who have released things that are you know brilliant as well that aren't miyazaki and there's more people in studio ghibli that aren't miyazaki and no i'm I'm pretty sure studio ghibli is just a shed in miyazaki's backyard (laughs) where he where he makes every movie by himself (laughs) right absolutely i you know that would not surprise me one bit but um i just apparently he he is that he is that like ego what's the word not egocentric but uh egomaniacal maybe i believe it 100 percent i just um yeah, I don't know. That's kind of a little bit of a peep of mine where yeah. it's like, you know, we shouldn't, we should, I know when you watch a lot of content, usually you go in like really jaded a lot of the time because you're like, well, I've seen this done before. This has been done before. And I wish we didn't rely so much on the clout of the name and just would go into things like a little bit more open-minded and a little bit more, um, expectant of a good time and i feel super hypocritical for saying that but um like you know what i mean when i say that though no No, yeah Mm -hmm. i I totally hear you on that and i generally agree and that's how like i personally try and approach um things like this like i try not i like if there's something made by someone that i like it's like obviously i'm going to gravitate to that of course but i'm also but i'm also going to watch things by people who i don't know Mm -hmm. but it's just like from a marketing perspective that's just a really tough sell because you're having to spend like x number of potentially thousands of dollars to market something and you got to make sure that you do it in a way that like gets more people than just people like us to watch your thing Mm -hmm. i think it's a little easier now with uh anime just being so widespread Uh, i mean you could find anything any of these creatives have worked on you know that would be in the marketing material uh even if it's uh uh, you know, Morimoto working, you know, Studio 4C, the studio that brought you Mind Game and the yes. Animatrix, or whether it's, you know, uh, uh, Okamura, who was on Wings of Aniamis, or that Ava show that no one remembers anymore. Uh, yep. <laughs> uh, it, it's, it's, I could see back in, back then with Otomo being so, uh, you know, with Akira being in everybody's mind, I could definitely see them pushing his name before the forefront mm-hmm. of everything, you know, much yeah, less because was, it's his original only... stories. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's, I think now if, if we were to get like a, a memory style thing now, I think it would be easier just for, uh, you know, everybody's sort of in the anime now. It's really easy just to look at a, a preview on YouTube and get a trailer on YouTube before you go and watch the movie thanks to Funimation bringing it over Mm -hmm. Uh, you know people talking about on the internet it's a lot easier to just find something new Mm -hmm. I think we I think we're sort of seeing that because I mean we've got kind of a modern example of that because the flavors of youth anthology is up on Netflix and I haven't seen a whole bunch of people sort of really um talk about that but I have seen some and that's like a um studio uh comics wave uh 
anthology series so they sort of brand it that way it's just like from the producers of your name um comes flavors of youth that's Um, what i was what i don't know if it was that movie or if it was another movie and um they were like really 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 reaching to connect to like a big name or big studio and it was like somebody like real 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 low on the docket that worked uh, for a big company or on like a big production, but they wanted to tie that name uh, or production yeah. to it. Might have been that movie. Um, I think it was. I think it was fireworks. Yeah. So was, I was oh, it was fireworks. <laughs> You're right. It was. Yeah. It was fireworks. Yeah. <laughs> it's yes, like and- fireworks from the producers of your name <laughs> <laughs> from from one of the producers of your name from the from the um, arts art colorist. Yeah. Who worked on your name? You know, it's it's so funny because like if you look at old Central Park media or like US manga core DVDs, like they literally did that. They would be like, from the key animator of Project Echo comes this That's terrible wild. OVA that they paid like thirty bucks for and or put it out on like, DVD. Um when um for like Heat Guy J, like I think um, Oh man. <laughs> I th- I think it was um Jinion at the time were from the character designer of Trigun comes oh, Hikai J. So, <laughs> but again, that that just from what we're, we've been saying, um, it's just it's a marketing thing where, and also, and I and I think also just because there's so much content out there, mm-hmm. is by pushing a name that that makes people go, I know that I can trust that, yeah. so they're and more likely to go. That's not always the case. Like, so, like, fire, like fireworks. So. Right. So Otomo said that one of the goals that he wanted for this particular project, in contrast to Akira, that is that they, he thought that Akira was like way too much of himself personally as a care as a um, creator, uh, because he did like, like, like Akira really is his movie. Like it's his idea, it's his characters. He did a ton of work on that movie, and he said that like it kind of. He wanted to do something very different with this project, so sort of like step back a little bit and let other creators flourish so that they could have this sort of um, shared perspective uh, sort of things, like synergy um, sort of things on this project. Um, and honestly, it's it's my personal assumption that had Akira, so we sort of talked about this earlier, but like had Akira not been such a huge success internationally and Otoma being sort of like the director of it, um, I honestly don't think that memories would have really been able to have been made at all, um, because like we've said earlier, like anthology movies tend to not do so well in Japan, and that was definitely the case for Robot Carnival. Like Robot Carnival really got its fandom here in the U.S. Like it came out in Japan, and everybody was just like, eh, whatever. And then it came out here, like during the VHS era, and it like got shared on like fan sub tapes, and then it eventually got onto like a legit like release and it was on vhs dvd everything and it it was just very very beloved and very shared here um so but i'm sure that the investors behind memories were probably a little bit more confident that since it was katsuhiro otomo uh doing this and adapting his own stories um still relatively soon after akira which was a big international hit that's probably why they uh were uh sort of more confident in funding this particular project, even if it's something that wouldn't really, typically based on the data and history, sell very well. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So it, it is interesting to look at memories sort of in the context of its peers in anime around the same time, especially related to the people that worked on it. Um, so it has a large amount of shared staff and a general sort of sci-fi-ish tone of things like Macross Plus and Cowboy Bebop. But memories as a piece of work, as like a piece of anime, obviously never really got to the same like level of popularity or pervasiveness as things like Macross Plus and Cowboy Bebop. Um, so I think the reason for that is probably a multitude of different reasons. I think one maybe major factor is the fact that Memories, while it came out in 1995, it was actually not released in the United States at all until 2004, and it was on DVD. So like it completely missed out on like the fan sub, like tape trading sort of culture that sort of brought uh, Robot Carnival into popularity. Um, and it sort of missed the, the, uh, the high, uh, the height of like Macross plus and the initial like, um, hype of Cowboy Bebop and things like that by being like a whole six years after Bebop came out. Um, it also might be contributory that like even even Robot Carnival had an English dub, so obviously things that are dubbed sort of get they get more exposure because they're just available to be viewed by people who are not up for watching things in a foreign language. And yeah. back at that time, there was definitely a lot more people that were not willing to do that. Um, and while Robot Carnival is very visual, like there's some shorts that don't have any speaking at all. Like Memories is very dialogue heavy, so that's I think a with, the, with, with Robot Carnival specifically, that also aired on Sci-Fi Channel. That's very true. So a lot of yeah. people just saw that because that's the only anime right. that, right, you know, really easy accessible. Mm-hmm. Right. I think I think the other thing too is probably just the timing was really bad because at the time during the VHS days a lot of the stuff that was released was a bit older so mm-hmm. it was probably much cheaper or more easily able to get licensed whereas memories at the time was still relatively new so it was probably more expensive and also because of the names that probably raised the price up for for people to put it out and i don't i as for the whole dub versus sub thing even back in the vhs days and the the old first bubble the wave of the first bubble there was always people who were okay with subs so i don't think Mm -hmm. it was really a sub versus dub thing i think it was just who released it which is what killed or kind of lack thereof of awareness of memories because i think Mm -hmm. sony put this out back in yeah um yeah no, I, I hear I hear what you're saying on that. There, there definitely was that community of people that would just straight up watch like Raws and they didn't care. Um, but I, I'm saying that like in comparison to things that were just like mega hits like Macross Plus and Cowboy Bebop, and memories being like somewhat similar at least in staff and and like general feel, like mm-hmm. it didn't get anywhere close to that stuff. Well, I think also because it wasn't released through the traditional anime channels of at the time. Um, ADV, Genion, Funimation. Mm-hmm. So, and the, as we know through Anime Fandom, all those companies are so well plugged in into the fandom and to get the word out. Whereas Sony, a big corporation that's kind of doesn't doesn't have that personal connection with the fandom, probably had a harder time pushing it. Mm-hmm. And that's and that's why I think it kind of got lost in the shuffle. Mm-hmm. So, like, I didn't hear about this movie until you told me about it, Austin. 
Oh, really? Wow. Same, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think uh, I, I had not realized until you mentioned that uh, this movie is not released over here in 2004. Uh, that just didn't really cross my mind. And I think that really, I guess when I think about it, it really holds the like the, the entire key to that mystery there. When we think about uh, Otomo, like it's all centered around you know, Akira. And yeah. you know, I, I've heard his name you know, for since I've seen Akira. But I never really looked into his stuff the same way that I looked in a lot of other directors. And, you know, looking at it now, Tumbo's not really an anime director, really apart from these films and short piece. Like, he's a manga artist, primarily versed, and, you know, his screenplay and that. Uh, so his, his anime work is so far and few between that by 2004, Akira was already, like, there was a big push in the late 80s, early 90s for Akira. That was everywhere. And that by that point, it kind of died down. And then you know, I think it was a uh, Steam Boy came out in 2004, 2005. Yep. And yeah, that yeah. didn't really hit the same like fervor that they were really expecting with Akira. So to have this this uh, you know this anthology film, which um, you know it, it it by that point it was almost ten years old. Uh, it looks like it was almost ten years old at that point. It definitely looks like mm-hmm. something from the mid nineties, which uh, I think. There was kind of a general reaction that I think in the general public to kind of push more toward modern-looking stuff. Yeah, what we now know is that really crappy, uh, mm-hmm. you know, CG paint, uh, kind of stuff. Yeah, digi paint. There you go. Uh, I think it's I think it's definitely held up more than they were expecting it would. But yeah, this kind of just came out of nowhere uh, with a name that uh, by this point only some of the old guard really recognized Otomo's name. Uh, it really wasn't anybody's radar, and yeah, I think that sort of explains why Memories hasn't really hit that. Up critical appeal that uh, we would expect yeah and like if you think back to 2004 like what's what sort of shows were coming out then like that was sort of the rise of the the early rise of like the moe slice of life stuff yeah. and uh was, like had, uh, over here it was full metal alchemist was the big yeah. deal in 2004 full metal like that yep. tsunami era inuyasha yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's it's really sort of after that wave of like sci-fi anime being like yeah. just like like the anime like if you were watching anime in like the early 90s or the 80s it's like if the the anime you were watching was probably like like th- like 9 times out of 10 going to be something sci-fi-ish but by the 2000s or so it was more like fantasy or comedy slice of life something like that. Mhm. All right, so I guess uh, you sort of already talked about it, but um, so how did you all first figure out about memories, or am I sort of the ringleader of you band of rats here? Um, well, yes, <laughs> always, but... <laughs> I, I, well, for me, just like how I dragged everyone on the Leap in the Third train, I think you are the one that told me about memories in the first place and mm-hmm. told me how... It's a really good anthology movie. You should check it out. And I, I think it, we, it was a similar thing with me introducing people to Lupin. Hope, hopefully so. And uh, everybody seems to dig Lupin, so it seems like you guys dug this movie. So I'm, I'm uh, proud to have been a part of that. Lupin and Lupin. Lupin the third. I think I was over at your house, and you were just like, hey, this is weird. You'll like it. It showed me Magnetic Rose, and that was it. <laughs> Yep, yep. I think I want to say that you there there was something that you had seen relatively recently to that time and I was like, "Oh, that reminds me of Magnetic Rose. I should show you this." Maybe it was Black Mirror. Maybe. Mm. Or something like that. Oh, but funny. anyway, um so so I guess that I mean, the way 
yeah go ahead tobias yeah as for myself uh i i saw an amv uh for magnet heroes uh i would say 2004 or similar like 2006 like that era and uh it was pretty much the entirety of magnet heroes set to some operatic song uh so i pretty much got the entire story just through that one music video and kind of just sat in the back of my mind for the past 10 or so years uh i bought a copy of uh the, the, the dvd copy and it's been sitting on my shelf i want to say like five years or so either <laughs> awo or ancast did a review of it no oh, really so that was my uh, my only other experience with this until mm-hmm. now actually sitting down and actually absorbing it mm-hmm. so i guess for me since i've sort of brought it to uh tori and bill the way that i found out about it was uh through amazon.com they're good for something i guess (laughs) yeah so um i want to say this was like circa 2010 or 11 or so uh whenever i was still in high school and back then it was like yeah sorry um (laughs) i was uh i was trying to get more into anime in general like i had watched uh Gurren Lagann in my early early high school and was like super into that and like my whole friend group at the time like most of most of very similar to right now our entire friend group revolved around uh comic books anime and video games uh so i was thinking well i i want to you know get into some more anime so i'm going to sort of delve deep into uh some classics maybe uh so i went on amazon and I bought myself some DVD copies of Paprika, Tekon Kencrete, uh, the Cowboy Bebop movie, Ghost in the Shell, and uh, Memories. Not a bad collection. <laughs> no, it's really not. And, and the reason that I gravitated to those in particular is because they were like super cheap. They were like, each one of them was like less than 10 bucks. Um, and that is one great thing about a lot of those Sony anime is that they well for a time they were pretty cheap to get a hold of memories maybe not so much now it's it's not technically out of print but it's a little bit expensive for a dvd yeah i think the cheap the, the cheapest ones in that collection are probably like the movie about movie um, yeah. paprika and um ghost in the shell <laughs> yeah definitely um so i had picked up memories shortly after i'd watched akira for the first time and i watched magnetic rose and was just blown away by it and then i sat it on my shelf and didn't watch the other two until like four years later (laughs) and for no good reason really um i watched like magnetic rose like three times but for some reason i just like couldn't get into stink bomb not that i wasn't interested in it i was just like I love Magnetic Rose so much, and at the time, like in high school, I was super into things of that style, just like weird, melancholic uh, things, like borderline creepy, things like that. Like, I was super into Bioshock and things like that. Um, So that's sort of the tone that I was looking for stuff in, Uh, sort of that more hard, uh, dramatic sci-fi sort of thing so i like cannon fodder and stink bomb didn't really offer that for me at the time but i did watch magnetic rose a bunch of times and um then i still have my dvd copy and here it is it sits and then uh told bill about it in college and then he eventually got a copy and now we're here all right so you guys want to actually talk about what's in this movie rather than about it or how we got it 
Yes. <laughs> Probably a good idea. People are here for us to review anime. Heck yeah, let's talk about let's talk about this stuff. The bell. Okay. So Magnetic Rose opens up where we're in space and the crux of the mo- of the short is a crew of basically space garbage collectors. They're in they're about to finish their shift when they come upon the magnetic rose when they um, get a distress signal and they're wondering like is this a person what's going on maybe it's a maybe it's the signal's malfunctioning let's go figure it out and two of the crew members go on to and i think the name of the ship is the magnetic rose um Mm. where they're exploring it and they're seeing that it's um this grand ship that was for this famous opera singer um back a few centuries back and it's like it's frozen in time like it's very pristine like nothing has changed but as they slowly go further and further into the ship um strange things start to occur where they're starting to see the ghost uh ghost like figures and um it's got a really kind of uh scary kind of uh not a horror but a thriller type um psychological thriller um vibe going to it and as the short goes on you see just the progression of not um of kind of psychological madness that happens to the crew members as they go further and further into the magnetic rows mm-hmm. it kind of reminds me in a lot of ways of of like a it's like the anime version of like if you combine 2001 a space odyssey and the shining yeah i would agree with the shining parallels that makes mm-hmm. that's actually right on right on the nose mm-hmm. because um kind of like in if if you've seen the shining where jack nicholson slowly starts to lose his mind and begins to feel that the ghosts are real like the bartender and the shining and the people in the hotel um that are not his family it's kind of similar to the two crew members that go on where they start to believe that um who's the name of the singer ava uh, ava is a real person and that um she's just watching them and uh that she is uh leading leading them to a a better a better life mm-hmm you would think by now that people would know better than to answer distress calls from ships in space, but what do I know? Yeah, those guys <laughs> didn't watch any of those movies. Yeah, well, we got Alien, uh, Dead Space, uh, <laughs> what else? I don't know, but... Yeah, or at the very least, as soon as things get a little weird, just kind of nope out of there. <laughs> but, like, they show up, no. and it's, like, this huge mansion. There's, like, a hollow projection that shows, like, this... You know, nice outdoor scene. There's like food everywhere. Like, all right, this is too weird. We're getting the hell out. It's a bunch of macho men. Do you expect them to like chicken out at the last minute? It, you know, Bill, you mentioned um, you mentioned ghosts a couple of times, and I think that's another one of the interesting ideas that this puts forward in in this particular short is like the like. So a lot of people theorize about ghosts that like ghosts are sort of like projections or leftovers of like particularly strong memories attached to a specific place um and i think that that sort of fits the bill completely with this but they also take it to a different level about it like that the the ghost 
the ghostliness of it is also tied to like the spaceship's ai system mm-hmm. um so like basically the the ship has sort of saved ava and her entire life and all of her memories and is sort of like playing them on repeat even after she's been you know dead for you know who knows how long um and i think it brings up the interesting theme of like the the um the the, like the crossover between like our digital selves and our like real self because like in a way whenever you like record your voice uh or like a video of yourself like in a way that is like a snapshot of a memory of yourself (laughs) but it is also not you it's just like a projection of you actually kind of tying it back to um our black mirror discussion that we kind of briefly had uh, there's a black mirror episode i think one of the christmas specials where um you see this person with the it's like it creates their own ai and you see the person within the machine goes like wait oh yeah but, uh, that's me and it's like no you're just the memories of that person where your job is to manage their per- that person's life <laughs> and she's like but no i i remember it all so clearly and it's just that that blending of like well what's reality and what's technology and Mm-hmm. As technology gets further and better and better and better, mm-hmm. the the line between um, what's a physical physical reality between what's just a technology man made thing is it gets blurred. Mm-hmm. Well, one other one the other thing I really like about Magnetic Rose is just I love the the ship design. Like as you go on, you see it's it's darkly lit, but it's all these grand, baroque, um, very classical architecture throughout the house. Yeah, and it's very beautiful. It's mm-hmm. very pretty to look at, and just the the ever present feeling of just how well preserved the time period is. Of just like nothing has changed. It's mm-hmm. it's kind of like. Um, uh, this is a weird comparison, but my favorite ride at Disneyland and all the Disney parks is Tower of Terror because of just the aesthetic of just like it's the 1930s and nothing has ever nothing has been touched. Everything's the same. You still see the old 1930s luggage and you see the the architecture and you see just the clothing. It's just it, nothing's been touched, and I think the eeriness of that is just kind of appealing and just the what's going on here it commits to the aesthetic mm-hmm. yeah and i think that does kind of juxtapose later we we, we mentioned uh, 2001 and the shining but i think when we get to the the internal bowels of the ship it really invokes alien i think uh-huh. uh, when we get to like that like that the main part there like it reminded me a lot of the, the ship design from that original movie when they get to the, uh, I think, like the original space jockey ship. It just that, that huge cavernous, uh, like, internals there with this uh, this Geiger-esque, like, organic aspect combined with the mechanical. But, yeah, that, that entire segment down there just made me think of Alien. I would I would venture to say, like, just from a purely, uh, anim- purely animation and, like, design standpoint... This is probably one of the best looking and best animated pieces of anime ever. Like it's just it's just fantastic. Like everything looks so good. 
It's on it's on par with like something like Beauty and the Beast. And the amount just, of yeah. um, and the amount of detail that's in yeah. every single shot. Like you can see each individual pieces of food that's on the table mm-hmm. or the individual ruffles of the dresses when they when yep. they go into her clothing when they go into her, uh, Ava's closet. Uh, just incredible work. Yeah, it's so so visually stunning. Not only uh, in terms of uh, the aesthetic, the general aesthetic that we talked about, but also the like the flow of the animation quality. I feel like is is certainly theatrical quality uh, all throughout. Mm-hmm. Uh, it definitely reminded me of the same sort of uh, I don't know like the animation styling that you would see in Acura. Um, it just everything's really flows really smoothly. Everything just looks really really nice. And they even hired Rudger Hauer to play the main character. <laughs> well, he's the only live action character in anime <laughs> he looks exactly like he does in Blade Runner <laughs> I think one thing is that it's interesting to look at in terms of like the story and the narrative of this is that um, in the documentary they talked about how like uh, Heinz the main character Redger Hauer looking dude he didn't really have much of a character in like Otomo's original version so what Morimoto and Satoshi Kon did is they really fleshed out that whole subplot with him and his daughter, uh, like mm-hmm. his sort of his anxieties and fears of like being away from his family and uh, sort of the the ship's AI sort of like um, making him like hallucinate these memories of his family and sort of expanding on that and seeing like the the horror of him like trying to reach for his daughter but she's just like an ai projection Mm. robot thing and it's just it's really eerie and also the just the ai preying on what the two crew members really want where yeah um the red girl looking dude (laughs) wanting (laughs) wanting to be really close to his family while the other guy is just uh, kind of a really just are is attracted to women and being seduced. He's horny by on Ava. main. Yeah, <laughs> is that appropriate? By... Uh, no. <laughs> He's seduced by Ava's beauty, um, and you see that he basically loses all senses of reality. Where it's him in the garden with Ava, just like I will never leave you. Um, and he's in the kind of um, classical kind of something you'd see out of like Amadeus uh, classical clothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, between the two, I really enjoyed Heinz's story more than Miguel's. I thought Miguel was a little too generic, too cliche, too kind of obvious for this ghost story. Mm-hmm. But I really enjoyed with Heinz's story how we got snippets of it throughout up until the, we see like the scenes at the end. With mm-hmm. uh, you know the the whole flashback being played, I thought that was really really interesting. Mm-hmm. Definitely, it might be me reading too deep, but like I think it's kind of a good contrast though, because you have a character who's very much like giving in to every whim and is like, I'm just gonna go along with this because like what else? Like I possibly can't come uh, with any into any harm from this, but um, you know. And then we've got the other character who's like, okay, this isn't right and uh why is this going on and i'm gonna try to fight back and um things like that so oh yeah for sure absolutely yeah and it's it's a good foil to have like both of those characters in there because you got miguel who's like the younger one and he's like very devil may care it's like he doesn't really appear to have very many responsibilities and then you got heinz who's got, got this family back home that he's always thinking about and you know his responsibilities there and um sort of the 
the AI sort of preys on each of their individual weaknesses in that mm-hmm. way. It's like, I mean, I don't personally think it's a weakness, but it could be something that could be used against someone. Like, Heinz is, like, the thing that he cares about the most is, like, his family. family. So, obviously, he would the AI would, like, target him using his daughter and stuff like that. Um, and with Miguel, it's more of just, like, his immaturity, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like, and taking, taking advantage of that. It's some pretty sinister stuff. Like, it's it's pretty wild in that way. I feel like most people, too, would just, like, give in to be able to live in a perfect idealized computer simulation i can't say i wouldn't not do that (laughs) um so it's it's interesting to see that play out on both aspects i i really like the kind of this the seductive web that the story goes on kind of gives the the characters where they're slowly brought into the rows through um, the distress signal, which traps them in as they get further and further, they get further and further stuck into the web, which the, the magnetic rose wants them to stay in uh, and never leave. I mean, I think it's one of those, um, I just think in general, it's, I, would, I would agree this is probably the, I mean, definitely the, the strongest of the three films. I don't think anyone can really argue that, uh-huh. if we're being honest. Uh, yeah. This is definitely the reason to watch Memories, if, if nothing else. Um, not to say you shouldn't watch the other ones, but uh, this is certainly something that should not be missed. Um, of course, the, uh, this is the screenplay by uh, Satoshi Khan himself, and uh, I think this is kind of one of his earliest uh, earliest yeah. works in anime. Yeah, it was pretty so, perfect blue. So kind of to see like that early influence here before, you know, for Perfect Blue back when he was still just uh, writing and, and doing manga, you know, before all that. Uh, definitely a little bit of his early DNA present here, I think, with uh, the focus on the characters specifically. Uh, we mentioned, you know, the way Heinz and Miguel sort of play off each other in different aspects. Uh, the entire creepy mysteriousness of uh, both Ava and the ship itself, uh, something that we would see, of course, later in Perfect Blue. Very, very similar psychological thriller uh, tone. Uh, while still being very, very much, very, very, very sci-fi based, that we'll see, you know, uh, you know sort of contrasting here with Khan's uh, uh, penchant for this, this psychological thriller, these focusing on these characters and the, the like the fear that they're going through, just like in Perfect Blue, with uh, very much this like, I guess early anime sort of uh, focus on science fiction stories. Specifically, we would see, I mean, sure, Khan's things, uh, Khan's films all sort of deal with sci-fi to some degree. Uh, I feel like they're really more interpersonal than they are here, specifically. We have, of course, the the, you know, the huge ship, the Magnetic Rose itself, and these, these uh, the story set up in this, this the set in these sci-fi trappings, I guess. Mm. Yeah, and I think that this, the Magnetic Rose is just a good example of, like, Khan's early attempts to do what he did throughout his entire career, which is to sort of take the fantastical, take sci-fi, like, sci-fi, fantasy, techno-horror, and sort of make it very personal. Um, and th- there was one interesting little piece of the plot that I noticed that Satoshi Khan undoubtedly recycled in Perfect Blue as part of, like, one of the main ideas of the whole thing, is um, they said a line uh, whenever they were talking about Ava's, like, story like what happened to her and who she was and all that that apparently her husband was tragically killed by one of her uh, like rabid fans uh because they were like jealous that she was married to someone love idol culture yeah it's like what does that sound like that sounds a lot like (laughs) sort of the idea of perfect blue 
and I, I really do think that um, you know having not read the original manga but knowing what he uh, contributed to um, Magnetic Rose I undoubtedly I undoubtedly see this as part of the Satoshi Kon canon so if you're somebody that's that's looking to uh, to watch all of his stuff I don't think that you should discount memories even if it was not directed by him it is still very very much a satoshi Kon work for sure and i think another thing that works with this is since these are all you know compilation movies uh manager is only about 40 45 minutes long mm-hmm. so it's not a full feature length so you're not sitting down and digging into a full story like perfect blue or paprika or anything like that i think millennium actress is something like two hours uh, that sounds about little, right. Yeah, it's a little bit on the longer yeah. side, but this is a like it's a very compact story. You get a lot of, you know, you get a lot of it. You get the you know, these characters and their little this one little story, their journey. And you get a lot of I, you know, you get you get to see these characters and and what am I trying to say? Uh, you get really good characterization with Heinz and Miguel yes. and even Ava, uh, yes. but it's that doesn't take too long to watch. And I really I really oh. enjoyed all of these movies because of that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one strength of the anthology format is you you have a limited amount of time so your story has to have a central idea or a central theme you have to get to it you have to give strong characterization because you don't have time to do a slow build-up of who the characters are in a like you would in a traditional movie or tv show Mm -hmm. so and i think that's the great thing about short stories is a simple it shows that just a simple idea um can create uh, a great piece of work like magnetic rose because what magnetic rose basically is is just a uh thrill sorry a horror not a horror sorry i'm losing my train of thought it's it's basically like a siren song trying to bring people in and sh- and with a twinge of the blending of what's reality and what is technology and mm-hmm. with those two simple ideas or two themes you create a great story like magnetic roads all right so i guess that's kind of um it's kind of a good stopping point when it comes to magnetic roads even though there's probably a lot more that we could talk about uh we didn't even talk about the music at all which is fabulous but um yeah the soundtrack is just stellar but uh, anyway, I think we'll move on to the second short, which would be Stink Bomb. Uh, would it, w- Tori, would you do the honors of telling us what Stink Bomb is about? Yeah, so um, it is like a... It's the funny short in the anthology, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, we have our little office worker, salary man. It's never really stated exactly, but um, his name is Tanaka, and he ends up getting sick, and like all of us should, he's getting uh, maybe a flu shot. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Vaccinate your kids. <laughs> Basically, this is a pro-vax podcast. <laughs> oh, yes. 100%. <laughs> um, but he is still feeling kind of down, and he goes into work, and he happens to find this bottle of pills, and then it just all goes to heck. And... Um, it ends up basically turning into the episode of Spongebob where he makes the Sunday and it's rotten and he has really bad breath and he scares everybody away. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's, that's Stink Bomb. 
It would be like that if SpongeBob ended up involving the JSSDF and the American military. <laughs> yeah, of course. Because he was so stinky. You mean you haven't seen that episode? Oh no, I have. <laughs> oh yeah, that is what happens in that episode. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> but um, you made an interesting point about a cool little weird thing that I have knowledge about. So I'm gonna drop that uh, knowledge bomb. Uh, doing <laughs> doing some digging, apparently it is legitimate that this short is based on um, Gloria Ramirez and the weird, weird stuff that happened to her back in um, the 90s. And if you are into weird things like this, like I am, um, it's not really so much a like conspiracy as it is like just a really unfortunate... Um, thing when you start to learn more about it and kind of like figure out what might have actually really happened but um anyway so we have this lady uh gloria ramirez and she is suffering from cancer and she ended up in an emergency room um she was having like um irregular heartbeats and like irregular breathing and things like that so they basically sedated her and um they had to like jumpstart her heart basically and um, like the, the, this is where i play a clip of that motley crew song yeah <laughs> but they noticed um all these nurses that were like around and working on her um they started to see this like weird oil coming out of her body and obviously that's not normal um in the excess that they were seeing it and they started to notice this like weird um smell coming from her mouth and that could have been like an indicator of a lot of things like um if you're um malnourished and you're not getting enough like carbs in your diet like your breath will start to smell like acetone um fun fact of the day but um this was something different going on with her um they tried to take blood to do like blood samples and there was ammonia and like weird um like weird colored particles in her blood which obviously like one you shouldn't smell like ammonia and two you shouldn't have things in your blood <laughs> um all the nurses that were around her they either fainted or became super nauseated um lightheaded things like that um a bunch of them ended up having to go into the icu themselves because they were so ill um after dealing with this woman and they tried to resuscitate her for a whole like hour and um she ended up dying um nobody really really knows what was going on um but the general consensus um from some scientists who had looked at her body is that she had been injecting herself with um I'm going to absolutely butcher this. Um, dimethyl sulfoxide, um, which is a very, very powerful solvent used in like degreasers as a home remedy for pain, um, yeah. which is mm. really wild. It's it's like um, I, I just don't understand. But at the same time, I guess you know if you're in that bad of a situation, I guess you're trying anything you possibly can to alleviate yourself of pain um but i just don't think personally i would inject myself with degreaser but you know um the body and brain will get <laughs> i'm not living my best life apparently 
Um, but, you know, uh, in trauma, the body and brain will cause you to do very odd things. Um, so, yeah, that's that's kind of what they're thinking uh, she did. But, you know, obviously there's conspiracies that go around that. But um, I can't believe I'm going to go uh, on record and be like the whole... Um, uh, oh, what is it? Um, where it's like the least likely explanation is probably the explanation or not the least likely the most obvious explanation is most likely the explanation when it comes to weird things like that yep that tends uh, to be how it goes mm-hmm. um <laughs> which you know not me i'm like oh my gosh the government's full of lizard people and uh <laughs> not really not really let's go on the record and make sure that everybody knows that tori is not a fan of alex jones <laughs> um <laughs> But I do love gay frogs, so. <laughs> that means you're definitely. That means you're definitely not a fan of Alex Jones. But uh, um, yeah, it's like so. Yeah, Stink Bomb was definitely sort of like loosely based on that uh, that toxic lady phenomenon, as it was called mm-hmm. in the media back then. And it was sort of like this sensationalized sort of urban mystery thing, just like this lady was so toxic she made the nurses sick and things like that mm-hmm. and that's sort of what they're playing on there but but i think stink bomb takes it to like the next level by making it sort of a commentary on like militarism and biological <laughs> and, warfare and biological warfare because that's essentially like essentially the whole reason why the why tanaka becomes like the toxic man is because he takes this pill like you said, that ends up being like part of this government experiment for uh-huh. in biological warfare, and like it makes him so not necessarily stinky, but it makes him emit this like weird smoke from his sweat, um, that like is toxic and kills everyone around him except for him. Um, and it's that would sound pretty like horrifying, but the short is definitely definitely taking the dark comedy route mm-hmm. with this. Um, and it, again, it's just kind of funny to see this, like, very mild-mannered, sort of frazzled, uh, you know, salary man, like, murdering all these people unintentionally while his grandma tries to get him to go back. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it like, was, that cracked me up when he's just like, is he on his bike? And he looks up and he sees the helicopter and it's his yes. grandma, like, go back yes. to the countryside. I don't know why. Yes. Just go. <laughs> <laughs> so, um... um I know Bill has thoughts about Stink Bomb, so I'll go to Tobias mm-hmm. first. Like, well, actually, I'll go to Tori first. So, how did you like Stink Bomb? <laughs> I found it really funny. I thought it was um, it was a good kind of like thing to come off of Magnetic Rose because you're like, mm-hmm. oh, like my brain is so amped up now. I need to laugh. Um, mm-hmm. But I I enjoyed it. I think it is. Uh, definitely my second favorite um which is kind of weird to say because there's only three shorts in the anthology but um it's funny it has a lot to say about the military and you know the things that they do sometimes that are really crazy and wild like biological warfare um and i think i told you the other day that i would love 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 to see jinji ito do a reimagining of this because <laughs> it's um it's body horror and like black humor and those are thing two things that he uh, meshes together very well and um when you're not laughing you remember that this is actually kind of very sinister um yeah because you know he's he's killing people whether he uh, means to or not and, um, you know, this whole 
pill or whatever was made to potentially, you know, kill even more people. Um, but, you know, we, we forget about that because, haha, funny moments. But um, I liked it. I liked it. And uh, that little, uh, whenever he's biking, that little, like, boppy, poppy song that plays that mm-hmm. kind of like, you can do it, is um, really great. <laughs> Yeah, the, I think I think what really sells the dark comedy of this whole thing is like the the soundtrack is really like goofy. Uh huh. Like it's 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 like I, I can just hear it in my mind. It's like this really like poppy like sort of silly like it sounds like something that like Weird Al Yankovic would like come out on stage dancing to or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know. That's that's not a very. I I guess that makes sense. It's not a polka, unfortunately. But uh, and I, I would echo you, Tori, and say like I also really liked Stinkbound, and I thought mm-hmm. it was very funny. But how did you like it, Tobias? Uh, I I definitely enjoyed it. Uh, I kind of going into this already hearing some reviews from earlier. I I, I kind of knew that this and Cannon Fodder weren't going to be nearly as good as Manetti Rose. I wasn't expecting them to really be. Uh, but I, I I didn't hate it. I do think it's the weakest, but again, these are all really great films, so even third place is still going to be really, really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, yeah, and no, I really enjoyed the comedy. I really enjoyed uh, with him waking up and seeing all those bodies everywhere, and uh, <laughs> the, the sort of like uh, the whole the whole detritus is just kind of everywhere, and everyone's freaking out, and he has no clue, you know, what's going on. It was it was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, the thing that stood out to me the most, um, just like Magnolia Rose, I feel like this had some really great. Uh, like Sakaga moments. Oh yeah. Uh, later with the when we he actually develops the the entire fog cloud, and that that whole final like showdown with the the American guys and the Space Marine armor, and they kind of like show you know and that the one showdown in the tunnel, and just like the way they animated this the like the smoke and the vapor and all those like particle effects that just seem really like really kind of a nerdy thing to go into, but I just I, I really thought they put a lot of effort mm-hmm. into that. And uh, you know, watching and also this, the scene, uh, the scene before that too, like the sequence where he realizes that, like, oh, he might be killing the people, but he's making like the plants grow crazy. Yes. Um, and like he's just standing outside, like all this beautiful like uh, sakura petals are flying everywhere, and there's beautiful vines and flowers everywhere, and the sky is beautiful in the background. Like, that's some, some really, really stellar environmental animation right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of good work there. So I'm watching it the entire time, and I'm thinking, like, this this, this makes me think of Otaku no Video or Oniamis, and mm. it really didn't surprise me uh, looking at the you know the sort of the animation credits here. Yeah. But uh, the director here did work on Oniamis and then later Evangelion. It was just mm-hmm. I can't put my finger on it exactly, but just something about like the, I don't know like the character animation or character design, just the way this this goofy main character is made me think of the main character from Oniamis or even uh, oh, Otaku. Yeah. The video mm. i you know if i haven't looked this up but it would not surprise me at all if it was the same well no no it wouldn't be because that would be um sadamoto he's just not doing doing his normal style but like yeah. the character designs do look a lot like the uh the characters in uh in homi honiami specifically especially the main character he kind of looks just like a he, he looks like he would be you know shiro's like younger brother or something <laughs> yeah exactly and like some of the old men in the military also look like some of the old men in honiamis as well i mean overall i think i think my own my main impression is i think it's it's kind of a hard i know manning rose is a hard act to follow and i feel like with that shifting tones so wildly i think that kind of gives people an automatic uh, i don't know like a negative a negative uh 
that outlook going into it. So yeah. I think if you watch it separate, like if you go into that separate realizing that it's it's more of a comedic thing, I think I would enjoy it more on a second mm-hmm. viewing, perhaps. Uh, but it's 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 when you're you're kind of shocked by Man at a Rose, I found it to be a little uh, a, a bit jarring transition. I think. Hmm. Yeah, I would I would recommend if you're watching this thing for the first time, I'd say like watch Magnetic Rose, and then like pause it and walk away for like an hour or two, and then come back and watch the other two because like and sort of treat it like a like two viewing experiences because the difference between like Stink Bomb and Cannon Fodder is not nearly as stark as the difference yeah. between Magnetic Rose and Stink Bomb. Yeah. That's very true. Yeah, I think another thing that kind of stands out to me now that I think about it is just the pacing didn't feel as tight as magnetic rose so watching watching the first film is it felt like one episode of an anime tv series mm-hmm. very it was over quick like everything felt really compact really tight and it was over a really cool story but i felt like this dragged a little in the middle a little between bit yeah. the, the, between the points where uh he first uh murders the news crew that touches down to save him and to like like the last battle it, I think it stretches just a little bit too far mm-hmm. uh, for my taste. Uh, I think that's helped by, again, mm-hmm. like really fun animation moments, uh, like when they're shooting missiles at him, and uh, there's this really fun moment where he's trying to like, dodge those missiles. Mm-hmm. But I felt like overall, just as a plot, I kept seeing it as this one journey that's just like, come on, like make it to the destination. Mm-hmm. Let's figure it out. I would... You know, I, d- I agree with that, but I think that maybe one of the reasons why they sort of dragged it in the middle is to sort of exaggerate the bureaucracy of the whole thing. Right. Yeah. Um, which, in a way, like, if Magnetic Rose is 2001 and The Shining, then Stink Bomb is the Doctor Strange love. <laughs> <laughs> and Shin Godzilla. Yeah, and Shin Godzilla. Because it's all about, like, sort of poking fun at, like, the military-industrial complex and, yeah. like, uh, biological warfare and, like, how the military is just kind of silly sometimes and they do some things that don't make sense um and like especially with all that infighting between like the american soldiers stationed at the japanese station and the other japanese guys and the characterizations of the americans is just like well we're just gonna go in there at the last minute and blow stuff up it's like like, well yeah that that sounds about par for the course america i um (laughs) even though there wasn't like a ton of characterization to him like poor tanaka because it's like that struggle of trying to make something better when you're not feeling well or when you're in a bad Mm -hmm. position trying to make it better and then ending up making everything like just much 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 worse like it just Mm -hmm. snowballs out of control and like i'm sympathetic to that i get it um and i just i found that so so funny Mm -hmm. like tanaka really is very much like the everyman like he starts out of his day and he's just like not Mm -hmm. super hyped to be at work he's kind of sick and And then uh, he gets (laughs) go ahead i was gonna say tanaka is the equivalent of smith basically too so smith the last name oh 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 okay Mm -hmm. so like john smith (laughs) yeah john tanaka (laughs) (laughs) so yeah a lot of a lot of people prescribed to the idea of like a, the main character in some stories being like the blank slate that you're supposed to project yourself onto and like a lot of the times that just doesn't work see sword art online but um <laughs> like I, I i think that like tanaka in that is very much 
He's very relatable. Like, I think everybody yeah. has been in a situation is that he's he? been in before. I yeah, think he is. I've, I mean, he's, I've he, taken biological like, warfare drugs and have also killed hundreds of people. I don't know what life you're he's, living. He's but. an yeah. idiot. He, he's an <laughs> Yes, Bill, I'm also an idiot. What are <laughs> you too. trying to say? <laughs> just, just, I think, uh, un- okay. Under, here, under here, duress, here, we here, don't always make the best decisions. True, but hearing, okay, hearing your points. Okay. I, okay, I... There, I have no qualms with the animation. I think the animation in this service is really good, especially during that sequence in the tunnel when all the missiles are filed directly <laughs> at him, which I will admit is pretty funny. Uh, <laughs> though it is kind of funny slash um, stupid of like, really? The military is like the A-team or like someone playing a shooter where they get like a 30% <laughs> hit range. Like it's it's it, it's kind of fun, and I think the problem I had with it was just like Tobias was saying was the tonal shift um, was a bit jarring for me, and also there was just some logic problems that I just could not let go. And I know I should have let them go, but I couldn't. Like, okay, if he if he works, he, they basically say in the beginning he he knows he works in a research lab. Mm-hmm. Um, why would the head of a major research lab where he knows that he's working on a major project would keep such a dangerous piece of scientific technology that he has produced on his desk? I couldn't... I, the, that thing, just like, that made no sense to me. Two, um, if he's somehow bonded with the stink bomb, then the air will carry the stink across not just Japan but kill the world because he is outside he basically has killed the world by going outside by doing that three I mean if the if if he's if he's so dangerous that we need to stop him instead of sending military force to kill him or trying to send someone that to tell him what's going on because they immediately die they could easily just at a higher elevation do what a lot of the military did during major wars and just shoot down a bunch of pamphlets directed specifically towards him that say this is the situation they did it was called his grandma no that was <laughs> over the speakerphone Whereas if so if, so bill what essentially you've done in this conversation is you have walked up to us and put uh, salt and pepper on our ice cream cone Yes, I, I I am the horrible condiment that no one likes, <laughs> and put it on a wonderful ice cream sundae. Because <laughs> just I couldn't get past the logic parts of this thing, and the mil- and the comedy and the commentary on the military just kind of I feel gets a little bit lost for me. Like the only thing that kind of stuck with me is like, even though they're causing all, he's causing all this death. Um, the U.S. military guy is like, well, we need to preserve it. And I, I yeah. kind of get that as like a joke slash military industrial complex bit. I get, I got that. But it just seemed kind of lost on me because they're so trying so hard to be funny. Oh, another thing is, how does he get the damn suit on at the end? How does he get that suit on? He does it through the power of suspension of disbelief. <laughs> <laughs> because when they go in there, you think the the rest of them are all dead, so why would he put on the suit voluntarily? And 
there was another thing that he did that didn't make sense. Oh, his reaction to people automatically dying, just like, he's kind of whatever about it. <laughs> that like, is very true. He's a little he's bit blase about it. He's in shock. No, he, no he's not. He's, <laughs> it's like, he's, he's like, why is everyone running away from me? He's not, why are people dying immediately when I've they come up to me? I've caught the ugly. <laughs> I think just he just annoyed me too because he's... He's pretty much an idiot. He's miss. He's the. I'm gonna say he's actually miss. Calling him Mr. Bean would be too much of a nice compliment. Uh, <laughs> he, he, he's he's just an idiot. I I hear your complaints, Bill. You're you're not necessarily wrong, but I just think this is all about like reading it through the lens of absurdity. And, and I think that's well. That's the problem. Is most Japanese comedies are absurd comedies, and for me personally, I don't like absurd stuff. It really yeah, but works I mean, for me. I don't know. I see this more as just like a an absurdist sort of um, like like commentary I, I, on the military industrial complex. Uh, oh, no, not, I mean somewhat, but more just like bureaucracy and like the way that they handle like emergencies and some things, and uh, and some of that as well. But. Uh, uh, and, and not just necessarily Japan, but just, like, the military in general, because they do talk about that as well. But that, that so much is not really... Uh, so it's definitely a part of it, but uh, I I tried to view this in the same way that it, that I viewed something like Dr. Strangelove. It's, like, it's very absurd, and if you try and apply, like, too much logic to it, you are obviously not going to enjoy it, sort of like how you've articulated. Um, because it's it's supposed to be very over the top and somewhat unbelievable, but still rooted in enough reality that it's like believable within its own like little world that is created. I, but I think you're right. But because I came in with into memories with a clean slate, I didn't look up anything. I didn't know what was gonna what the shorts were gonna be. So I think what Tobias said earlier, just the jarringness of it really caught me off guard and maybe yeah. a different mindset. I probably would have liked this. I mean, more, I can but. see, I can see if you're coming in this fresh and you're like, man, Magneros is so great. Like, Oh man, that blew me away. What's the next one? And you get a very, very different experience. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, and that's why I said what I said earlier. It's just like, well, watch magnetic rose is sort of its own thing. And then watch the other two like or separately. Do what do what I should have done. Watch Magnetic Road first. Watch Cannon Fodder second, and watch the worst one, Stink Bomb last. Ah. <laughs> or you could watch uh, Magnetic Road last, so you don't have that expectation. That's, That's true. also That's very true. true. Yeah, and I think weird. that that sort of there. I think there are some generalized weaknesses about the whole Memories anthology as a piece of cinema i guess as it's as like a piece of work um but it's like the sum the the parts of it are so great sort of as pieces on their own but they're just not they don't but go it, well together isn't I that all think. anthology movies is all anthology not movies eventually not necessarily like not always but uh, we can talk a little bit more about that after we finish up uh talking yeah. about cannon fodder so, uh so would uh tobias would you like to talk about cannon fodder yeah sure okay so cannon fodder is basically 4C being the most 4C they've ever 4C. Yes, when you think about like the kind of stuff they were doing, uh, this very like heavily stylized, uh, you know, stuff that just doesn't look like anime when we think of traditional anime styles. This is this is it. 
Uh, yeah, I don't think you could really get more 4C than this, uh, to be fair. <laughs> uh, so this is very much a departure from the other two, uh, the other two films. Uh, both uh, Magnate Rose, like I said, and Sting Bomb are about 45 minutes. Uh, this is only about half of that, only about 20 minutes. Very, very short comparatively. And uh, unlike those work, there's not really, there's not really an overarching narrative. It's more it's like a this day. really quick picture. Like yeah, see, yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's a day in the life, yeah, uh, of this world. Yeah, and this world is, uh, I guess, like the most, uh, the most uh, cliche collection of propaganda posters that you may have seen from like World War One and Two. Mm-hmm. Uh, it depicts the city that. Uh, is just filled to the brim with cannons. Every building has an enormous, ridiculous uh, cannon, and it. Uh, all the people that live in the city form the crews that man these cannons, and uh, like all, all these people, very much sort of uh, labor under uh, this, you know, this ridiculous, ridiculous industrial uh, like cityscape that they live in, and they all have these very like gloomy gray. Uh, like this skin and just everything is just very like depressing and gloomy uh, throughout. Uh, so uh, the, the 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 story here is uh, we have our, our little boy wakes up in the morning. Uh, he gets ready to go to school. He makes a point to stop and salute this huge propaganda style picture of this uh, what looks to be like a major general, like uh, the the perfect image of the modern major general. <laughs> uh, before uh, before heading out to school, and while he's at school, we see his father leave for work, and he's part of the, one of the cannon uh, cannon loading crews, and we see that whole ridiculous process. It's just it's very inefficient, but I guess as efficient as it could be, considering the the size of these these rounds that they're loading in the cannon, and it, it's very much just in, in the same way the stink bomb is this uh, commentary on military bureaucracy. Uh, this is very much a, a commentary on just military everything, military culture as a whole. Mm-hmm. Uh, we see that, like I said, the, the modern major general, that this really iconic, uh, heroic character that everyone sort of worships. Uh, we see him as, as being this very uh, like rotund, uh, lazy uh, uh, actor that pretty much just does the easiest job in, as far as the entire process compared to all these uh, workers that are kind of beat down by the work they have to do uh, day in and day out. Uh, we see uh, the little boy grow up in this culture. This uh, really, uh, I, I think it really makes me think of like a Sisyphean struggle in the sense that we see these little snippets of the, 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 the entire progress of the war where some newscaster gives some information where, Oh, we, we made three good hits against the enemy today but you really have to wonder, is this war ever going to end? And there really is no reason for the society that's built up around this military industrial complex to end. So you kind of see these people trapped in this, this, uh, this entire, uh, like propaganda life. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, it's, uh, it's very different. The, the entire, like the styling of everything, like I said, is very much like a weird 4C deal. Does it look like anime? Uh, traditional anime style at all, much like uh, Stink Bomb or even uh, uh, Magnetic Rose would be. And uh, very heavily stylized. I can see it not being uh, everyone's favorite just for that reason alone. But even then, it's just uh, because there's not a, a huge story in the same way that the other shorts have or, or most stories would have, uh, it definitely feels a little slower. 
for the most part. Uh, I loved cannon fodder. Um, because, uh, for, for, well, for me, because one, I love the kind of, we go from a more traditional, what we'd expect from anime to a, I love the 4C design and I love just kind of that gray color kind of, I made me think of, oh, the reason why they're all gray is because of the soot from the can. And that just the really cool transitions from one shot to the next, which I thought where they were basically blending where there wasn't Mm -hmm. a, just a cut where you could obviously see it's a cut. They would just do a transition where it'd be a a window and then you go to the next scene. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And, and I also liked just the small little mundanity things of the son saying like, mom, can I get this stereo helmet? Yeah, <laughs> all the other kids at the school have it, and it's like no, no, we son, we've so, talked about it. They're dangerous. Talked, or the mom kind of chit chatting and doing gossipy rumors at her workplace, or the kid at school just being bored out of his mind. Where I didn't view it as kind of a no, kind of a sad sort of 1984. This is a constant military thing. I'm just kind of like, this is their job, and. This, they seem to have a good life where they're just watching TV, eating breakfast, and no one's. <laughs> maybe I'm just not getting the subtext, but I kind of just liked the um, a day in a life um, perspective of cannon mm-hmm. fodder, and just after just the <laughs> the frustration that I had with stink bomb, <laughs> it was it was a nice kind of change of pace for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm, I'm talking too much. That's fine. <laughs> I, I, I definitely would agree that between the, the first two works, you're not really sure what you're going to get with the third one. So maybe you're a little more open to uh, whatever, whatever it could be. <laughs> yeah, you've been broken. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, I really like to stink uh, cannon fodder a little bit more this time around because um, I, I watched it. I think I watched it a while ago and then I didn't really appreciate it so much because I guess I just wasn't really paying attention to it. But just the way that the whole thing moves and the way that the the shots flow into each other and like the very subtle use of like the the CG computer graphics animation is like is very, very, very carefully orchestrated and very well executed. It really does serve the piece uh, in general, and it sort of shows one thing that I think Otomo is really particularly good at, which is like world building, and especially like world, not so much world building, but just like world design, because everything is so yeah. detailed, so stylized. Um, and if you look at something like Akira, like the 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 city, the Neo Tokyo, really does feel like a central character to the movie of Akira, like. I don't think Akira would be as iconic if if it wasn't so um, synonymous with just those beautiful cityscapes and the beautiful buildings and just the general feeling of like a world that is lived in. And yeah. you get a lot of that same thing in um, in Cannon Fodder as well. It makes me really sort of think. Makes me wish that like it. I wish that um, Cannon Fodder would have been the movie that he made rather than Steam Boy because I think that would have been much more interesting because Steam Boy was not that great. Yeah, I, I completely agree. That would that would have been a. I, I would I would. Well, what would you do with the full like feature length Cannon Fodder though? Like, what story would you tell? 
I don't know. I mean, it could sort of be sort of like one of those, um, not so much reinventing the wheel, but sort of like, you know, people that live in sort of a, a fascist militarist state sort of, uh, you know, uh, become woke of their situation and overthrow <laughs> the tyranny of the, of the, uh, incompetent leader. It's like, wow, I'm just, I'm just sounding like something that I want to happen in real life right now. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, Tori, what did you think about cannon fodder? I didn't like this one very much. Unpopular okay. opinion, I guess. Um, I don't know. I just, war stories are just like such a bummer to me. And it's like, you know, we deal we deal with so much of that like in real life that when I look to media, I kind of want to like escape that for a little bit. Mm. Um, don't get me wrong. Like there's, you know, stories out there with like these things is a key element that are good and that I enjoy. I just um, don't know. It didn't it didn't grab me here. It's like artistically and um, animation wise, like you guys were talking about. It's really cool. I love the super. Um, stylized character designs where everybody has that kind of like grayish green undercast and it yeah it's probably the soot but also I was kind of reading it as like oh these people are zombies to their um to their lifestyle blah 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 that kind of stuff um that's a good point mm -hmm. but it also to me read very straightforward as like you know stop brainwashing people with war and Mm -hmm. like propaganda and stuff like that because you know the kid at the end he's like going to bed and he's dreaming of you know I'm gonna be the super important officer the man that fires the cannons and Mm -hmm. um, I will never be happy being like on the you know minimal level that my father is I have to be the big important man Mm -hmm. and um, you know it's like looking at society not everybody can be that big important person like everybody we have so many roles that i think are just as important as one another and but yeah we basically just need to stop like brainwashing people with war and violence and propaganda because not everybody mm-hmm. needs to grow up to shoot cannons and guns right mm-hmm. but and uh, like that's that's like the entire point of this entire world that was set up within the cannon fodder universe it's like they really they don't do anything other than war and like that's the entire reason for like everyone's existence like everybody works a war job everybody does a war thing it's like even the little uh sitcom i think that came on their tv was like about a family fighting war too (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they don't even, like, it's never explained that there's even really a clear threat of any kind or mm-hmm. any threat, like, at all. Um, nope. And it sort of it sort of reminded me of, like, the, the subplot in uh, 1984 where they're just talking about, like, how, oh, the one country and our country are fighting and we have to build more bombs. We've so. destroyed over 100,000 of the enemy. I remember, I think I remember that part in... Cannon Fodder 2, where near the end they do a report of the number of people that we have defeated. Mm-hmm. Uh, sort of similar to in 1984. Right, right. But it's like at that point, because of this world, it's like, can you even believe that that's an accurate thing? Or are they right. just making that up to make them feel like more, you know, enthusiastic about the efforts of the, the noble country, the the war against the evil others? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, um, I mean, it's, but it's, all, it's all for sure a smokescreen here because you've yes. got this entire, like, a class of people that all they do is contribute to the war effort 
So if there were no war effort, they wouldn't be doing anything. Mm-hmm. They would be realizing that they're really being kept under wraps by, you know, whoever is at the top of the chain, giving them this busy work to do, this wasteful mm-hmm. busy work, mm-hmm. uh, giving the distracted, like you said, to the, at the other. Uh, yeah, so there's a lot of, I, I feel like, yeah, there's a lot of subtext there as far as what we see in these people. Uh, but I don't think yeah full full feature like story that would be that would be interesting. I think I think For it sure. worked because it's a, it's a simple day in the life story. Like we're not really supposed to hit a resolution. Yeah, you're supposed to think about you know very much like 1984. You're supposed to think of it like well w- what are we doing now mm-hmm. in 2018? Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I um I usually don't mind stories that kind of throw you into it, and they're just like this is the way the world works um through like uh, background interactions or things like that. But um definitely depends on how it's all executed. And I think a very um, telling scene in this short was where the ladies, I, I guess they're like factory workers or something. Um, cause they've got on the gloves and the, the hats and, um, they're like, it's the scene where they're chanting and throwing their fists up. And the one lady's just like standing there looking really like, I'm not having any of this. And the lady behind her is like, really like, like, come on, you got to do this. You got to do this. Like insinuating something bad would have happened to her if, uh, the man who walked by saw her not participating. Um, oh yeah. And I think that's a very mm-hmm. good, like, um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? So, subtle. Uh, but yeah, yeah, very subtle, like, uh, look into um, what's what might really be going on, too. And I think what's interesting in general is, is like, the, the dad figure, you, you can tell that he's got, like, some significant anxieties about sort of this world that he lives in and the job mm-hmm. that he does. Because, like, you always see him, like, staring out into space, and then there's that one scene where he, like, gets all sweaty because he's got to do his, he's got to, like, fire off the cannon or whatever. Yeah. It could be um, from, se- it could be from shell shock. Like actually. PTSD. Yeah, it could be from that, too. Yeah, but, yeah. like, obviously this whole war lifestyle is, like, whether he's conscious of it or not, it's, like, having a very negative effect on his, on his persona. Mm-hmm. Um like his health and his mood and his mind and all that stuff and then like he sees his kid like drawing the cartoon about like the uh the uh the little cannon dude and then it goes into that animation sequence and it's just like well he sort of sees that well i mean it's it's not necessarily super evident in the work um but i would think that he would probably see that as sort of like oh i don't know if this is necessarily the greatest thing for my kid to be obsessed with because i know I know what this sort of stuff does to me and the people that I work with. I don't know if I want that same future for my kid. Yeah, and you have to think about it too. Like, children fighting in war is to this day a very, very real uh, problem that we have, unfortunately, yes. in the yes. world. Definitely. And I think it's important to, like, like I, I'm not saying that you can't be, if, if a kid is, like, fascinated by, like, military history or, or you know, just the military in general, it's like, that's not necessarily a problem, but I think it's also important to, that if we're teaching our kids about war, we have to also teach them that, like, war is inherently bad. Hmm. It is not a good thing. It is not something that should be celebrated. Like, war as an institution and as a human activity is not something that we should ever glorify. Yeah, like, um, when I was a, a um, World War II nerd growing up, reading about it, just like Eisenhower, one of the greatest military minds, 
of, of the 20th century basically viewed that war should always be a last resort and that mm-hmm. we should be constantly <laughs> in constant state of we need to be ready to go fight and that we should try and look for other solutions. Exactly, because there is so much more to life than just like shooting other people and blowing up countries and no, etc. <laughs> yeah, clearly not. Violence is the answer. <laughs> um, yes, fully endorsed. Uh, my, I guess my little side comment for Cannon Fodder is just I love the design of everything and I love just the aesthetic of that world that I would love, not a feature, but a manga of Ooh. Cannon Fodder. I think that'd be really cool or a very nice figure that I can buy. Mm-hmm. So I know that a lot of these were based on manga or short stories that Otomo wrote, and I'm not sure if Cannon Fodder was either... I'm sure it was one of those two. He looks like he directed this one, too. Yeah, he did. This is, this is the most Otomo of the, uh, the works. Maybe it definitely you guys, is. Maybe you guys know more than I... You guys probably know more than I do, but I'm curious, like, besides Akira, which I, of course is in print... Um, what others is his other work in print here in in the U.S. U.S. in terms of m- in terms of manga or anime manga. I don't. I can't think of any of them off the top of my head. I know that there was a a uh, like an art book that included some of the manga uh, for memories uh, in it that you can Ooh. still get a hold of um, for not necessarily too much money. Um, I've seen it before on eBay, but it's got like production design pieces from the from all of the shorts and memories, and it has some of Otomo's um, uh, manga works and maybe some of the short stories in that as well. And I've I've oh. seen some people on Twitter post about owning it. Um, I, I can't remember what it's called, but it's just like uh, the memories visual works or something like that. I'll have to look that up um, mm-hmm. after the show at some point. Mm-hmm. Alright guys, well I think that sort of wraps up our general discussion about the three shorts, um, so we guess we can talk about more this sort of stuff in general. Um, so one thing that we do like to do is that um, whenever we talk about any particular thing, we like to uh, talk about what we think are either favorite or what the most iconic moment or shot in each particular work is in our minds. So. I guess we'll start with Tori. What do you think, mm-hmm. in your mind, is the most iconic moment or the most memorable scene or what have you from Magnetic Rose, Stink Bomb, and Cannon Fodder for you? Um, Magnetic Rose, I think, would definitely be the scene um, where the main character, um, the German, German guy, he sees his like wife and daughter at the table and then mm-hmm. like it all looks like plaster basically like yes that scene i thought that was really creepy um stink bomb probably just all the this is kind of a cop out because like there's so many i think for that one particularly but with all the like smoke and fumes and whatever but i really love the scenes where he would like um you would see all the the foliage in bloom mm-hmm. um those stuck out to me given the um uh details and um 
I think with cannon fodder, probably the end where you see his little drawing or painting or whatever kind of uh, come to life. Um, yeah, that's it for me. Cool. What about for you, Tobias? So I think for me, uh, I was just going to say the same scene in Manega Rose, uh, that and all the different, like, the, the organic plaster, like, there's some sort of organic matter that just is living and mm-hmm. tends to attack our main characters. Very iconic there. Uh, other than that, I would say, um, geez, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll go with the, uh, I think the ending was really uh, interesting itself because you pull back, the camera pulls back, and it's like the entire space station is this one large rose. And you see mm-hmm. that for the first time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think with uh, uh, Stink Bomb, uh, there were just a lot of moments, especially near the end, where like the, the, the smoke effects were just really well animated, and I really like that. Uh, I think the uh, the ending, where you know we, we I think by that time everyone kind of expected the ending to be what it was, but to see it play out in sort of goofy manner, where he takes the suit off and the smoke clears, and he's really there the whole time. <laughs> I brought it, you guys. It's here. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't I do and, such a good job? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, with cannon fodder, I think uh, that one is specifically where. We have this entire segment where they're loading the cannon, and then this like goofy officer just shows up, and he just like goose steps up to the platform, and just dramatically <laughs> like he does like this this, this very anime just pose uh, as he just like he just like Beyblade lets her up. <laughs> oh, you talking about <laughs> you talking about like when he pulls the cannon rope yeah, thing? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. They use that like, cut in the trailer. Yeah, I think that, that kind of stayed with me. It just sort of like the the icing on the cake of just how mm-hmm. ridiculous. Uh, what it's pretty much what that movie is trying to say. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure like his his like rotund belly like jiggles in that moment. It's yeah. it's pretty funny. His very like over the top sort of. Baron von Richman sort of stomach. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. What about you, Bill? Um, I'm okay. I'm gonna go reversed for cannon fodder. The scene that sticks out for me the most is when the father had screwed up, and so he's forced to not. He has to stay out in the middle of the the cannon, so he's not protected. And so, just the fear on his face of just like, oh man, oh, just before it, it's about to go off, and when it goes off, he and the rest of the crew that are just standing there in the row, being wiped away by just kind of like an explosion void <laughs> that comes over the screen, that's the shot that gets stuck in my head for that one. For Stink Bomb, my favorite one is just the hundreds and thousands of jets that are in in tanks that are in front of our main idiot character and they fought and they threw a massive fire on him (laughs) uh, when he when he comes out of the tunnel and for rose probably the one that sticks out to me is when they're they go into that kind of that stinky sewer where you see you see it's i kind of view it as the dark under the dark kind of underside of the beauty that you first see when you enter the ship of just that gross muck and just the sort of the the ugliness of just it's like a wasteland that's underneath it and just them trying just to walk through it and trying to get out of it I thought was stuck in my mind. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, for me, um, I would say my most iconic moment for me, or at least the one that stands out the most for Magnetic Rose, is is well, the one that I think of the most whenever I think about Magnetic Rose, just in the m multiple times that I've seen it, is the initial reveal of what the inside of the spaceship looks like. Um, like you've you've got that sort of extended uh, opening where it's it's kind of taking its time. They're sort of establishing sort of that these are like space you know junk collectors or garbage men or what ha what have you and then they get the distress they show up at the spaceship it's like sort of decrepit on the outside you don't really know what it looks like too much it we've, we've not seen the big reveal of what it actually looks like until the very very end so you just sort of think it's just this rundown sort of spaceship and like they'll just open it up and they'll be just like who, who knows what in there but then whenever Miguel and Heinz sort of open up the doors and they get into the interior and it just pulls back and there's that like, um, like harp sound effect where you just see this like huge sort of Baroque ballroom that they're in like on this balcony and it's just so regal and just like so unexpected. Like I remember the first time I watched this, I was like, are you serious? Like, that's what my brain did. Like, I was like, is this, is this where this is going? Like, okay, this is really interesting stuff right here. I am very engaged from this point on. Like, the, the whole short just grabbed me in that very short, like, shot. Like, it instantly told me, okay, so there is, this, this is going to go in directions that I did not expect. And that sort of sets the tone for the whole rest of the thing. Um, for Stink Bomb, just one that is just hilarious to me is just the grandma in the helicopter yelling at him. Mm -hmm. Like, I just love that. She's just like, I don't know. I don't know what's the problem, but they want you to go back. Please don't come into town. <laughs> <laughs> and then they have to get pulled away. And this, that was really funny. He was just like, is that you, grandma? All the way down from his bike. It's It was just really silly. And then... uh Again, for Cannon Fodder, very similar to my pick for Magnetic Rose, I would pick, like, the opening sequence up until, like, the first uh, transition because, the they're, like, the first two or three minutes or so of, of Cannon Fodder is all, like, one shot. Um, obviously, it's much easy. Well, I hesitate to say easy because it's not easy, and what do I know? But it's, like, you in like live action film like so many things go wrong that you really can't do a whole lot of like single take shots like that because you have to account for so many different things with animation you can be a little bit more precise because you sort of get to dictate where the frame is and where the camera goes and all that stuff but it's still pretty amazing to see like single continuous shots in animation like that and especially like whenever the little kid like gets up out of his bed and goes to salute the big uh, portrait um, and it like pulls back a little bit and then it, it continues to pull back as he goes to the kitchen and has breakfast. And then you follow him and his dad as they leave the house and go down the elevator, they go down the street. Um, I don't know, just that whole sequence is just really, really cool. And it just shows the, uh, shows the artistic talent of, of, uh, of how that thing was storyboarded and just the, the fluidity of it is pretty amazing. Okay. So one one more general discussion question about about memories as a gigantic whole. So, do you guys think these shorts go together? Well, they all, to a certain degree, have a common theme of, like, militarism. And I think that is obviously and most easily what ties them together. But um, I think 
tonally not so much because usually when you see anthology works um, at least most of the ones I've watched tonally they they come together a little bit more cohesively I'm kind of in the same agreement with Tori just I think cannon fodder and stink bomb have an e easy connection because they're both kind of commenting on military uh, to some degree whereas magnetic rose seems like it's its own thing that it, yeah it's it's kind of like um that was the it's magnetic rose and other stories <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but they, uh, uh, to, some, to some degree they um i don't know if they ever specifically say it because i kind of um since i had already seen magnetic rose i had kind of like um like sped it up a little bit as I was watching it but their their ship and their um, gear does look very military and I know they're supposed to be like garbage collectors or whatever um, but I wonder if they are working under military <laughs> it's just not blatant yeah I mean there's something to be said that for sure uh, if nothing else uh, Ava's retreat from society you know, caused by the assassination of her uh, you know I said in this case, it, what in this case uh, isn't she killed, or was it her her husband? It was her husband that was murdered. Okay, I guess there's something to be said there then with a sort of a like a rejection of this very militaristic, violent society mm -hmm. around her, her her retreat into this fortress that she made for herself. Mm -hmm. We said something very similar, I guess. Uh, personally, I see there's a lot of disconnect here because I, I think especially with calling the anthology series memories that sort of sets up well okay so they're all going to have something in common that has to do with memories or the past or something like that and I I fail to see that in really anything other than Magnetic Rose yeah it's like, well, you, you could make the argument that sort of that applies to cannon fodder in a way because it harkens back to, like, sort of World War One, World War Two, sort of uh, Eastern, like, well, not Eastern, but, like, European sort of um, German. Nazi Germany sort of things. I yeah, so it's, it's, I it's got that. Would, sorry, I would say more World War One with his helmet. Well, yeah, with the with the visuals, but the, I mean, the principle would still kind of be the same. It's just like the the maximum more effort for like what real gain. Um, yeah. So I I could see that, but with the extinct bomb, there's like there's no connective tissue that would work there. Um, people are always going to remember this stupid researcher guy who killed half of the city. <laughs> That's yeah, the I, memory. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he killed the world. He killed the he killed world. The world. <laughs> yeah. I think going back to, to Cannon Fodder, I think the thing there is the lack of memory. It's the fact that no one really remembers why they're having they're fighting, why they're doing this. The these characters never try to engage with the, you know that. There is no past for these characters. They wake up and just like we see them in this this yeah. day in the life story and they just go through their day like every day just because they have to. Mm -hmm. But it's the, never it's never I mean, you're you're definitely right that you could read it that way, but it, that's never buttoned in. You know, it's yeah. it's never really called out in in yeah. such in such explicit terms. Not that they have to like smack you in the face and be like, "This is our theme," but it's never really 
addressed in that way even though you could definitely read it that way however magnetic rose is like almost like memories is like essentially the theme of of, well one of many themes of of magnetic rose yeah exactly um so i i don't know it's like as an anthology like i i genuinely love every single one of these pieces um i think they're all really good in their own ways like evaluating them against themselves but as like an anthology collection, Memories is a little bit like, I don't know, it's a little interesting. It's kind of all over the place, I think. I mean, I think there's one common thread that uh, we haven't really touched on as far as that's concerned. Let's hear it. Uh, they're all based on manga stories by Katsuhiro Tomo. Yeah, I know that. We talked about that. <laughs> all right, I gotta get my I gotta get my bad joke in here. Come on, I'm allowed one. They're they're what? they are all the memories of Katsuhiro Otomo. Yeah, like all all of this is a documentary, and it's just about him and his childhood. Just, all of this, his weird wild dreams. He yep. he was he's he's he was Sting Bomb. He killed everybody. <laughs> yeah, he's the bomb. He's the bomb. <laughs> Dot com. Uh, no. Uh, I guess if I'm allowed about one, you're uh, allowed about it. Hopefully it's not an e-bomb. No, no, it's getting worse. It's getting worse. It's getting worse. All right, All right I, let's, think, let's I think to, we... Yeah, round it up, Let's go to Twitter questions real quick. Uh, our buddy Will uh, comes on asking the real questions. How come I've never heard of this? It sounds right up my alley. Um, well, we kind of addressed that there in the beginning. It's like this sort of came out a little bit too late beyond like the... Uh, hype train era for things like this so it kind of missed the boat in that Mm -hmm. way and then it's never been available on streaming it's only been available on dvd being Um, released by sony doesn't help (laughs) no that doesn't help it's not even up on like crackle or anything like that um (laughs) and it's it doesn't have a blu-ray release um there's really never been any fanfare about it at all like uh it was re-released maybe a couple of years ago in a sony anime box set that came with um steam boy memories paprika and i want to say tech on concrete as well um Mm -hmm. but it was like just a dvd collection and the only place i ever saw it was at walmart and i only ever saw it for like maybe a few months and then i guess they discontinued it or something so it's it's just not really been available or really pushed and um and one thing i do see is like a lot of the general discourse around satoshi khan works is they kind of forget about magnetic rose um and that's somewhat excusable because he didn't direct it but like i said earlier i think it's a very very important and crucial piece of the satoshi khan canon in general so i think it's sort of a mistake to uh to exclude it all right, so then our friend Basil's got a couple questions here. I'm going to skip down to some of them because some of them we've kind of already talked talked about. Uh, so what made us choose this compilation to review now? Well, at least for me personally, like I wanted to revisit Memories because of the hype around Robot Carnival. Mm-hmm. And like Memories is sort of like the little brother of, of Robot Carnival in some ways. And I know one of the more... Uh, one of the more like straight up reasons why we decided to do this one is because bill bought it recently (laughs) well well for me personally i've been wanting to explore more anime movies because that are beyond miyazaki because i think just with how the anime season cycle works we're 
people are so glued into the TV cycle that movies kind of get lost unless they're Miyazaki or they're Mamoru Hosoda. So <laughs> I wanted to explore... I'm hoping to explore more anime movies on the podcast. Like, I'd like to do maybe some of Takahata's work. I'd like to do maybe The Animatrix. Um, more anthology movies like Robot Carnival, maybe. Um, stuff like that. We sort of already touched on this, but uh, do you still think that, uh, excuse me, do you think there are still messages in this that stand true for us today? Yeah, I think we uh, talked about that. We did. Mm-hmm. I would say the one we didn't touch upon is, you know, if you see a big blue jar, a cartoony jar full of pills, <laughs> like Pac-Man pills, take maybe don't them. take one without, yeah, maybe Dude. wait. I'm, I'm swallowing the whole bottle. I got nothing left to live for. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm, I should have played him. There's a great old 80s um, ad called We're Not Candy, which basically <laughs> saying this medicine is not candy. You should not eat this, kids. He should have been he should have been shown that that PSA. Then well, he they shouldn't have make been it so... look like candy if it's not candy. Everything's candy, okay? If you try hard enough, yes. Mm-hmm. So what is the neatest visual flair in the work? So whenever I think about what visual flair is, I think of like stuff that's just like cool for the sake of being cool or like flashy or whatever. And I would say that I don't know if I would necessarily call like the um, the beautiful Baroque architecture of Magnetic Rose to be like visual flair, so to speak. Um, so my pick for that would be like just the... Um, the uh, nature environment, uh, the nature uh, animation in a uh, stink bomb, like mm-hmm. with all the flower petals falling and the just the plants and the trees and all the texture to it. That that's what I would pick. Anybody else? I agree with you. <coughs> Excuse me. That um, that and the nature, even though it's computer generated in uh, magnetic rows, because I'm I'm a sucker for pretty scenery, pretty nature, and um, just seeing that against the like. Um, industrial type looking stuff is mm-hmm. always really neat definitely there's a lot of really good visual contrast in that one i think uh for me the the one piece of flair throughout uh, at least the first two films was just like that smooth animation quality that reminded Ooh, me yeah. a lot of watching akira just something that i think stood out to me then as a a fledgling anime nerd was uh <laughs> not just the like the material you're watching but just how how just how nice it looks like taking it in mm-hmm. uh, Tobias basically said what I would say so you, you, yeah, you're I, a man of excellent taste Bill <laughs> <laughs> is there a moment that stood out to you uh, yes all of them mm-hmm. except for except uh, uh, stink bomb did not stand out for Bill at all uh, <laughs> so how does this compare to some of Otomo's other works Steam Boy or Memories or Akira so I mean, it's hard to compare Akira to... It's hard to compare, like, a like a feature narrative to an anthology. But I think in terms of, like, animation quality, it's pretty on up there with Akira, I'd say. Um, in terms of Steam Boy, Steam Boy sort of suffers from, like, the early 2000s sort of digi-paint look, I think. And it's not necessarily, like, unwatchable to look at, but it definitely doesn't have that sort of tactile very high budget high level like cell animation that really makes akira and memories look just like pristine Mm -hmm. uh steam boy doesn't really have that 
Um, I mean, at this point, I think I should ask, since I think you're the only, you two are the only seen it. Uh, what about Short Piece? How does this compare with Short Piece? I um, don't remember a single thing from Short Piece. I'm going to be really upfront with you. Was that, so, has that been released anywhere? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's been released by uh, Sentai Filmworks. Okay. Um, so I, I, I haven't seen the whole thing since you and I saw it, Tori, but I have revisited it in some ways in like clips and stuff. So yeah. Short Piece has a lot more variety, and I, I want to say that it has five shorts instead of just three. It's four. Four shorts? Uh-huh. Okay. Um, they, I think they are, the ones that I remember, they have a lot more visual distinction between them. Like, there's one of them that is completely CG animation, um, but it's like high-level CG stuff. It's like, um, like sort of on par with uh, like Batman Ninja, but a little bit more, um, I guess. Like the faces didn't quite have the have the problems that Batman Ninja did. Um, it's a little bit mm-hmm. higher higher um, higher quality than that. Um, and then there's a couple more that just have a very unique visual style to them and that are done in two D. Um, and then there's one that's like very very like uh, real realistic. Um, it's one of them that. Um, that uh, Koji Morimoto uh, considered doing for memories. It was based on another Otomo short called "A Farewell to A Farewell well, to weapons. weapons." I was just about to bring that yes. up. Yeah, that's the one. Um, and they ended up doing that one in short piece. I couldn't really tell you much about it or what I thought of it because I really don't remember it very well. Um, but I I generally enjoyed short piece a lot. I think that just like memories, there are some that are well. There's some that are better than others, but they're all good in their own way. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I really like Short Piece. I would ho- I would highly recommend it. That if if now that High Dive stuff is showing up on Verve, if Short Piece ends up on Verve, yeah, definitely watch it because it's it's good. Like if you like Atomo stuff, you there's definitely something in Short Piece that you'll appreciate for sure. Mm. All right. So, okay. Now, Austin is cruel and mean to anime. So, rank these in order from best to bestest. Well, I think this is in response to me giving the axe to Little Witch Academia <laughs> in the Halloween special. To which I tell Basil, I love Little Witch Academia deeply. I just had to make a very hard decision. It's very true. I don't want to be mean to anime, especially not that one, because that one is my child because so many of my children are in it. I would say Little Witch Academia is probably my favorite short from this piece. <laughs> I'd say so, too. It's it's probably the best piece of memories entirely. And Little Witch Academia is my favorite scene in Akira as well. So, so just, just, just like take a step back and imagine, like, what would Magneto Rose look like if instead of Miguel and Heinz and the other crew, like, what if it were, like, Akko, Susie, and... Uh, <sighs> uh, be weird. What, what would I happen know. if they just showed up? I mean, I I'd watch it. Susie would go okay, in the yeah. simulation for sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no question. Akka would be like, we can make friends with this computer-generated ghost lady because friendship fixes everything. <laughs> I more see, like, Akko could totally be a stand-in for Tanaka and Stink Bomb. <laughs> Bless her heart. Yeah, I could. Oh, man. <laughs> All right, so I guess if we're ranking these in order from best to bestest, um best is bestest would be uh magnetic rose i think we all agree with that yeah yep but since bill hates stink bomb so much 
I mean, I, that would be that would be my number okay. two. But I, I also like Cannon Fodder, so they're about tied for me. Again, I like the visuals of Stink Bomb. I just don't like that mate. I don't like that guy, and I can't get past the logic problems of that movie. Well, then let me just rephrase that you have more problems with it than some of us do. Yeah, there you go. And that's okay. <laughs> so, would we be putting Stink Bomb in the middle or at the end? Tori, you're the tiebreaker. Um, personally, I would put Stink Bomb in the middle because I enjoyed it more than Cannon Fodder, but what do I know? <laughs> Tobias, can you live with that decision or must yeah, you object? Yeah, no, I think they're, I mean, it's, well, once you, I mean, Manning Rose is the clear winner, naturally. Yep. I think, yeah, we'd all agree with that. Landslide. The other two, I mean, yeah, I mean, it just kind of depends on your personal taste. It's very uh, true. I, I liked Cannon Fodder more than I thought I would, and I think maybe that's why I put it second, but, uh, yeah, no, they're, they're all really, really good shorts. Seems like we're coming in at an even 50-50 here, so my answer is there is no answer for uh, for the second parts other than Magnetic Rose is the best. It's, it's, it's everyone's favorite um, ending. A tie! Everyone loves a tie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Man, now I want some pad tie. Man, it's only like twelve thirty. We could do it. that's one o'clock. Christ, where's my where's my twenty four hour Thai restaurant? But anyway, I think that is a wonderful place for us to end our episode because it is very very late, and I really appreciate you guys for sticking into it and getting this review done. So thank you guys so much. Um, wanted to remind everyone yet again, like I mentioned in the beginning of the episode, um, we will be giving away a free copy of Volume One of the Rose of Versailles, and the way that you. You can enter into the contest to win that is by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes specifically, and then we will be announcing the winners in our Facebook community. So if you are not already part of the Facebook community group, uh, make sure to get yourself in there so that you can see if you have won or not, and uh, we are very excited to be able to give you guys a piece of such a very good anime that is only going to be more difficult to get a hold of. And uh, thank you, Bill, for facilitating that. Uh, it's my pleasure <laughs> alright and thank you all again for joining us for a podcast episode uh, Tobias where can people talk to you on the internet about anime uh, well you really can't you can type <laughs> at me but you can't really talk at me <laughs> they can hear you so you can talk to them but they can't talk to you that's true so if you were to type words at me uh, at twitter at reverend underscore tobias i may or may not read them on a podcast and make fun of you that goes double for me uh tori tori where can people talk to you on the internet uh triple for me however (laughs) um you can find me on the twitter.com at worst waifu where usually i am screaming about something Mr. Bill Lupin the Third, where can people find you? Um, I am WB Foreman nine 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 on Twitter, um, where you can hear me talk about Red Dead Two, which I'm currently playing, um, and how it's a beautiful slash very frustrating game. Or you can talk to me about how the latest One Piece episode was awesome, and that I it's, get, it's getting good. Talk to me about One Piece. Cool. Please, please talk to Bill about One Piece. (laughs) Somebody. (laughs) He needs a friend. (laughs) And as for me, you can find me on... You can find me over on Twitter at BebopShock. That's Bebop is in Cowboy Bebop, and Shock is in I am attached to some electricity. Um, 
and you can find general Third Impact related stuff over mainly over at our website, which is thirdimpactanime.wordpress.com. Our podcast is available on most all of the platforms, including the one that you're listening to right now, which you should totally give us a a star rating or a review on. We would really appreciate that very, very, very much. And um, yeah, keep up with us over on Facebook at facebook.com slash thirdimpactanime and come join our Facebook community group. Um, we make that terrible website a little bit better one cool anime uh, news article at a time not me I so thank you guys so much for joining us well except for Tori she's here to cause chaos (laughs) unfiltered chaos Um, like throwing the coffee beans directly into the back of the coffee maker (laughs) (laughs) alright folks thanks for joining us and we will we'll see you in the next one